You're listening to Video Monsters, a weekly podcast. Uh, well, uh, mostly weekly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. <sighs> All right, fine. A mostly weekly podcast of Creatures Talking Features with your hosts, Nathan Simmons and Eric Harris. Video Monsters is brought to you by the Chattanooga Film Festival and Central Cinema in Knoxville, Tennessee. Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or online at chatfilmfest.org and centralcinema865.com. And links for each of these can also be found on our pages, so be sure to follow us at Video Monster Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Podcast. Podcast forever. Hello and welcome to episode 343 of Video Monsters, where we take movies seriously. We just so very clearly do not take ourselves seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. <laughs> I was trying to make up something with Alien, but I just couldn't make it work well. Da- yeah, I, I started to say I'm Nathalian, um, <laughs> but that, that just seemed awkward uh and tonight we are talking about spring breakers oh boy spring breakers it's uh it's it's, it's a movie that we all watched and we're going to talk about it <laughs> yeah man we we definitely did i have been i am I, I don't even know where to begin with i'm just so i'm so excited about this i have so much to say <laughs> would, eric would you say that you have a lot of shit to say about this movie i have so much shit to say <laughs> so so much shit none of it probably important in any way most most oh of the, mostly a bunch of shit that nobody probably wants to hear but i'm gonna say it anyway i i mean you are aware that we have a podcast where we just talk about movies that like typically runs longer than the movies themselves so if they're listening to us they're probably used to you know listening to things that no one wants to hear about anyways so yeah, we are continuing in our A twenty four series, <laughs> which God. is even more fitting with Spring Breakers. So I forgot that you had been doing that. We it's been a couple of weeks since we did our last May twenty four episode, and uh, our last ma- th- thank you for bringing 24. that back. Thank you. Yeah, we yeah. definitely needed that. We we did. <laughs> uh, the, you know, this series it it really excites me. There's some great great movies that we are talking about we're talking about spring breakers tonight and i i'm the greatest of all th- movies it's not it's mm. not it's not it is not I mean, the greatest of all these movies it's 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 oh. I, I all right i'm gonna go ahead and just throw it out here of all the a24 movies we've watched so far and i have watched the one we're covering next week already spring breakers is my favorite the favorite it's, it's and the most best fun. is different it's the most fun it's the most fun it it is certainly <sighs> very fun uh but I the just, best it's mm, like here's the thing it, I'm not gonna say it's the best it's my favorite it's the one I think you, that you I literally like, just said it's, it's the best you literally started this don't obviously you can't listen to any <laughs> thing I say I already I already told you guys at the beginning of this episode don't listen to anything I have to say about anything that's a this good way to start a podcast of the a24 <laughs> movies that we <laughs> that we're covering this month and including the one from last month under the skin it's it's certainly very relevant to under the skin 
Here's the thing with Spring Breakers, and we're going to get into this, and you know what, I'll, I'll just, I'll hold on to this until we actually start getting into it. Into it. All right, so Spring Breakers is uh, one of the earliest A24 films. Was it the first? Was it the very first, or was it just it's the second? Okay. It's the second, but I think A24 likes to pretend it's the first, because the first is a glimpse inside the mind of Charles the III, <laughs> starring Charlie Sheen. <laughs> So the uh, second, I do think it's the first true A twenty four film, yeah. though. Yeah, the, the, it's the one where they really they really hit the formula. Yeah, like pretty pretty like right out of the gate. Like it's it's pretty interesting. Like I I feel like A twenty four is kind of like millennial Miramax, and if that's with that analogy, I feel like Spring Breakers is like their Sex Lies and Videotape. Like it's the yeah. and and it took it took Miramax a while to get to that to Sex Lies and Videotape. Like, Miramax they had, to had been making of, films for over ten years at that point. Right? Yeah, they had been doing like music docs and stuff. Like the mm-hmm. uh, uh, I can't even think of what it's called at this. They point. They did uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the concert video. Well, there you like, go. Yeah, didn't they do some Monty Python like stuff? 79. too? I think I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, but yeah, this is like their the, easily their breakout film. This is where they like really hit the culture and became like a a a memeable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. sensation that uh film nerds embraced and uh i don't know the oh, it's the okay all right i'm go on nathan i'm sorry i'm I interrupted you. Are, are you good there? Go ahead and cross off the how this established no, the A24 formula off our list of things to talk about. So, Spring Breakers, the second A24 film, but the first that really established the formula, starring James Franco and uh, Selena Gomez and three other people who I do not have listed because I forgot to pull up IMDb before I started. Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Vanessa Hudgens, and Rachel Corrine. And- yeah, Harmony Crin's wife, apparently. <laughs> oh, and don't forget Gucci Mane. So, yeah, his role is vital. He is like the most sane one in the whole film. <laughs> the most Which is- dude, starring those, starring the people that Eric and Dan just listed uh, in in a movie about hedonism and power and following your dreams even to destruction. And uh, it's pretty safe to say that we here at Video Monsters love spring breakers i probably have more issues with it than both dan and eric combined but uh it's it's a great movie it's a lot of things to discuss a lot of things to really enjoy about it so uh so yeah we recommend it go check it out this review's gonna have spoilers it's gonna because we're gonna talk about the end at least a little bit but also i this movie for me is one of the ones that i don't feel like it can be spoiled because when it got to the end, there was nothing that I was like, oh, what? When oh, I knew, how it was, I knew how it was going to end. Like, I knew the end of the film, and I still, like, was not prepared for the way that the ending unfolds. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. when I, it was I've, not I've what seen, I was expecting at all. I have seen indie dramas before, so, like, I knew how it was going to unfold. And as stuff happened, nothing about this movie made me go, oh. It was all just kind of like, oh, yeah, that, that tracks. That's that's pretty much what I expected to happen. Uh, so I do not think that this movie can be ruined, even if you were told exactly what's going to happen. It is definitely a movie that you can enjoy the ride, even knowing what's going to happen. So, uh, so yeah, uh, even if you've not yet seen Spring Breakers, stick around. Listen to us dive into our deep analysis that we do. And in tonight's analysis, we're going to be talking about some of the technical components, such as the lighting, cinematography, and music. Um, we're going to be talking about some uh, some pieces like materialism and hedonism and uh, power dynamics and, uh, and, and just how this overall movie centers around Spring Break, 
which I know sounds very similar to the uh, the materialism and hedonism point, and and it is, but in, in my notes at least, it's something a little bit different that I want to make sure to uh, to focus on as we go through this. So let's start diving into this. We've already talked a little bit about our prior information when we did our popcorn punch out, and oh shit, I forgot to write down all the movies that this went up against. Um, uh, Spring Breakers lost to. It lost in the first round. It lost in the first Jeez, round uh, to uh, um, First Reformed, and Dan used his <laughs> Chaos card, and then it mm-hmm. came back, and it won out against Midsummer, because yeah. I remember the uh, the bad pun that I made about oh, yeah. spring versus summer. So yeah, Spring Breakers <laughs> right. went on a very short journey in our popcorn punch out, but a very, very important journey. So if we have time at the end, we will try to come back and talk a little bit about whether or not the right decisions were made. Uh, but they they were. They were the right decisions. Yeah, y'all, right. Y'all, y'all was welcome for that chaos card playing of mine. <laughs> oh, it was well played. I, I love Midsommar, and I, but I guarantee we're going to talk about that at some point down the road man um, nathan nathan is just dying to talk about it he's I, so mad right now he's I'm, furious that's that's part of why i want us to talk about it at the end because it's like i also <laughs> watch midsommar and holy f- that movie is amazing it's ah okay it's quite good. I'm, I'm not gonna spend it. this entire episode talking about midsommar but that movie's great i think spring breakers in this this kind of triple feature that we had that we kind of uh, curated through our voting in the popcorn punch out, I think Spring Breakers fits perfectly sandwiched in between the other two films that, that I, I see, would here's the so thing. I think thematically I think, it works best. Apparently we're just gonna go ahead and knock this out right here. I think that Midsommar also would have fit following a different strain of of themes. Like that's one of the weird things about the movies that we end up picking with our popcorn punch outs is it it always feels I say always, now that this is what, like the third time we've done it. But uh, the last three times it's felt like the movies that we've picked, we've been picking on purpose with like some sort of uh, mm. central theme driving our choices. And we really haven't. It has been entirely in the moment. Which movie do I want to talk about more? And then mm. it's just in watching them and analyzing them that we start realizing, oh, here are some of these connective uh, tissues that tie these movies together. Mm. So if we had gone to Midsommar, we just would have been following different threads. So it still would have yeah, been I, I a different that, connection. Yeah, I do think that that's true. I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm like, man, all these pairings just seem so perfect one another, with one another. But I do think that part of that is just the way that we look at films and that we're constantly looking for those connective tissues. Um, so that's that's probably more what it is. It's probably just like a... <laughs> well, it is. I think the universe just loves the work we're doing and it just g- keeps gifting us with these. I, you know what, Dan? I like your interpretation. Well, you know, it's, it's because this podcast is out of this world. We're, we're aliens. <laughs> I really wish that I could remember everything that uh, that alien said in Spring Breakers because it is all just batshit insane. <laughs> there are a couple of times where he's just like, oh I'm not from this world or whatever. He's like, I'm not from this planet, y'all. And like he says it with such sincerity and conviction that you're like, maybe he's not from this planet. <laughs> he's maybe he's just being honest. You, you know, you want to know what it is, Eric? He's not. This should have been in our alien invasion. He, <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. Here's the thing about alien. He's not from this world. He's from Florida. And <laughs> yes. having grown Fair. up in Florida, um, yeah, his his character tracks uh, driving a, a white Camaro. No, uh, what was he driving? Was it a Camaro? Was it a Trans Am? I think it's... Whatever. Dri- driving a, a, a white uh, T-top 
convertible <laughs> thing with white walled wheels. Uh, yep, that's that is very white boy in Florida thinking that he's something special and and even his little his his accent is terrible. And uh, we were even talking about this before we hit record. And Eric, you're like, oh, my God, his accent. That is just just so mm-hmm. bizarre. And the entire time that I was watching it, it's like, I, I know people that sound exactly like that. And uh, yeah, his spring break, spring break forever <laughs> is, is what inspired the, the podcast forever that, uh, that we did at the very beginning. <sighs> you don't alien. say. Yeah, what? Let's, let, let's start with Alien. Let's just kind of dwell on Alien for a little bit because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Prince Franco forever. <laughs> That's forever. why I want to get it out of the way so that we can just reference him as it is uh, mm. necessary. But, you know, he's just something he so what's fascinating to me is and i guess it's just because of how large his character looms over he's i mean he's he's kind of the only he feels like he's really the only true character who's kind of fleshed out i mean you get a little bit with selena gomez but i do feel like the women in the film serve and this isn't even necessarily a negative thing that i'm saying here but they do kind of serve more as metaphors this sounds really bad like the way mm-hmm. that the film but but i now i can't even now i can't even well, try here, it, it, uh l- let me help you out with that so so i kind of get where you're going with it and uh, i don't look at this film literally like this sure. is a film that because mm-hmm. the the way that the the way that the film is pres- presented to us aesthetically it's really hard to track it as like a story about actual people doing actual things that are actually happening. Um, and and we talked a lot about how I usually don't like that, but I think the way that Spring Breakers does it and kind of folds that so organically into the aesthetic component of the film makes it work really well, um, where that these people are more like ideas um, and they're representing like cultural touchstones to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of why the women are much broader characters. Um, and then I think Franco that's a the, generous read on it. I have a much less generous read that I'll get to in a second. I'm sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, James Franco, it, it's fascinating to me that he's top build in the film because he doesn't really show up until like 30 minutes into it. He, he gets like a brief little cameo where he's doing a concert and talking about how, uh, you know, bikinis and big booties is what life's all about. <laughs> um, and then he just kind of shows up and takes over, which is again that's part of the reason why. Anyway, um, yeah. How do so, we feel about Alien Guys? So uh, I I I don't disagree with your read as the women in this film could be more of just like metaphor and and uh, just kind of being there to to serve the purpose of getting at the heart of you know like what Spring Break is rather than being actual characters, but. As much as I'm okay with that in other movies, I mean, I spent way too long in Our Invaders from Mars defending how that movie is so much more brilliant than uh, than you give it credit for, Eric. <laughs> I don't like that read with this. I do not like the read of Spring Breakers as, oh, well, you know, they're just representing these ideals rather than well, being these characters. I think, for I think part of it, too, is because it, the movie is deliberately trying to get the audience to underestimate them. Mm-hmm. as well well um, here's here's the thing and uh, 
I don't think that this was like an intentional subversion of expectations. And I don't think that this was a, um, a, a clever way at getting at the story. None of the women in this movie, as you said, none of these women really feel fleshed out. They all just kind of feel there. Like flesh. Yes. <laughs> they, they feel just like flesh rather than fleshed out. Cause James Franco, like he has an actual arc, you know, he he has a kind of I I said kind of an arc in that he has a reason uh, he he has you know his old mentor that now he is trying to topple and uh, he he meets these women and he's bringing them in and like if you switch this movie and watch it from James uh, from James Franco's perspective like if you get rid of the first thirty minutes and just start where he comes in then. You, it, the movie honestly doesn't change that much. Like you wouldn't have to change. He's a, much. He's a man who's preying on young women who he sees as easy prey, who ends up uh, dooming himself because of it. Yes, and let's not forget. Um, I, I would be remiss if I do not m- mention the metaphors of their names. Uh, Selena Gomez's faith, and oh, uh, and oh god, what the hell? Uh, Vanessa Hudgens candy. is candy. Can- yeah. Not enough can be said about why those two characters are named the way they're named. I mean, we are introduced to Faith in in a Bible study group, pretty much led by wrestler Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett, yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> He's jacked for Jesus once again. He is jacked for Jesus. That is spot on. The opening montage, the yeah. opening sequences. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, that is Florida. Like there is no question. Mm-hmm. Every single shot that they showed in that opening, just like, all right, we're we're giving you the the setting of this movie. We're trying to introduce you to this world. Every single thing, down to the um, oh, what's what uh, uh shit? What's that um, the the shitty fashion designer that uh the douchebags like to wear? Um, Ed Hardy. Yes, Ed like Hardy. down to the Ed Hardy yeah. style shirt, and I'm so glad that both of you knew that from the description. Down to like the the bleach blonde <laughs> hair and the Ed Hardy shirt, and like the tribal tattoos mixed he with has cross tattoos. Pastor energy, and it is it feels so authentic. Oh, that is well, and and yeah, not just youth pastor, but like Florida youth pastor. That uh-huh. is just just. I think. Yep. He just did a line of blow and is is now uh, now leading youth group. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> I'm glad that we're backpedaling a little bit because I think that it's impossible to start this conversation with Alien. I, I need to start. We don't because no, you, you, this, this is the journey of the girls. I mean, what he he is the again, we're going to back to, you know, like the troll. He is the troll under the bridge that's waiting for them. Mm-hmm. He's he I, I, again, I, I, I compared this before uh, before we started recording to Apocalypse. Now, he is the Colonel Kurtz. Of this film, yeah, hundred percent. He is the person who has gone native and who is bringing people to him. You know that are that they are following him, and he is you know going against what is the norm in in, in that little mic you know microcosm that he has. Mm-hmm. He, he his is little his little bit of power that he's kind of amassed yeah. himself with within his little uh his yeah. little side kind his of little, his, uh, his, his, little meth, his little meth head twin crew. Um, which also oh, method twin crew. It's like that's something like sh- if if th- if this was a Mad Max film, those two would be like the you know the coma oh doofle warrior for for this group. 
100 percent. also i was reading too that those those twins like their whole story about how they always date the same women and stuff like that's apparently like just autobiographical for those twins like <laughs> i find that super fascinating the way this movie kind of just not and, surprising at all so why this movie feels so authentic to to florida i think because like harmony <laughs> corinne apparently like even when they're going to the dive bar and stuff it's like they just recruited local people at the dive bar to be in that that like to the point where like some of the actors felt unsafe being in these situations <laughs> uh, i have so many thoughts that maybe not that thing, but i i've got lots of corinne film where people felt unsafe i know right yeah oh man <laughs> we talk about harmony well, Corrine. lots of these things are probably going to come back up as we keep going through this but here's the thing about alien and why i'm actually glad that we started there like i said this entire movie could be from his perspective and you would not have to change much now dan as you said it's not his story it's the girl story and i a thousand percent agree and that's one of the things that i love about this movie and i've got like five different threads that i'm trying to untangle here that are all really woven together i'm with you dude there's so many there's But but like this specifically talking just specifically about alien and the girl story, like even just within that, there's a a few things that I'm trying to untangle. So many of the movies that we've seen before that have the same feel like they're told from the guy's perspective. Uh, I I even mentioned to both of y'all that this would make for a really, really interesting double pairing with Bellwether. Um, Mm -hmm. No, Bellflower. Not Bellwether. Bellflower. Yeah. yeah, I think. Right? Let, let me double check that to make sure that I am saying the right thing. I want to say that it is Bellflower. But yeah. So. Um, yeah. I never heard of this movie until you mentioned it, but it looks very interesting. Yeah. Bellflower directed by Evan uh, Glodel. Glodel. Don't know how to pronounce his last name. I assume it's uh, Glodel. It's, Glodel makes a little bit more sense. but G-L-O-D-E-L-L. Um, Bellflower is basically two dudes in LA that are a little too inspired by Mad Max. But there's a, a lot of uh, things that happen in that movie that I think would pair really well with the tragedy and and the, you know, just per, pursuit of hedonism, I guess, uh, that you also get in Spring Breakers. <coughs> but, like, we've seen those movies before. We've seen that kind of movie where you're, you're following the guy and, like you know living in just some little uh shit trailer and it's like all right i I need a better place and so resorts to crime and then things spiral out of hand and things look like they're being great for a while but then everything comes crashing down around them we've seen that movie and i love love the fact that this movie approaches it from the perspective of having four women as the leads who are doing all of the things that you would not expect women to do Eric, you I mean know. the fellow the fellowship of the G string? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Isn't that an actual softcore film? That I'm sure. That <laughs> Lord of the G strings. I think I'm pretty sure that's a. Uh, actually, I I would imagine that the. Uh, not, no, never mind. I'm not even going to go there. <sighs> about the fellowship of the cock ring. All right, so uh, so yeah, and you went there. Good job. <laughs> you did it. Full I circle, like I love. Ring. Yep, just like the ring. You know, give some. Never mind. Okay, so the, the God bless. We <laughs> so listen. If we're gonna go wild on any fucking movie we ever talk about in this podcast, it's gotta be Spring Breakers. Let's let just embrace it. Embrace the chaos. And that's that's true. I mean, the people are here to look at my shit. So. <laughs> 
with Alien <laughs> and and uh, so many movies we typically see from his perspective. Love the fact that Spring Breakers takes the female perspective and they are doing the things that you typically see the men do in this kind of story. And Eric, I know that one of the points that you want to talk about is uh, some of those power dynamics and gender roles. So I'm sure that we're going to circle back around to that. In yeah, just I got to build bit. up to that though. There's a, right. I, have a, I have a whole preface for that. Right. And, and again, to. this is one point that I'm trying to branch out. This entire movie, if you watch it from James Franco's perspective, again, really doesn't need to change that much. But I'm glad that it's not his story. At the same time, uh, at the same time, one of the things that bugs me about this movie, and, and there's a ton that I love, and I want to spend more time in this review talking about the things that I do love. But there are two things that really, really bugged me about this movie in a way that I don't feel like, again, they were intentional subversions. The first thing is this movie focuses a lot on like that objectification of women and sort of using women just as uh, a means to an end and like just there for flesh, just there for, you know, titties and big booties, y'all like that's what this movie is, is presenting, but it's presenting that by literally presenting it. Mm-hmm. And very very confrontationally very confrontationally like, but again not in a way that i feel like is sub, sub uh, subversive i, feel, I disagree well as an example have you seen hatchet mm-hmm. the adam green movie yes no so hatchet is a really fun throwback slasher there's a lot about it that's really really fun and if you've seen, especially Hatchet 1 and 2, because this kind of uh, gets bridged between both of these movies, but there's a character that's walking around with a camcorder, and uh, he's pretending to be like a Girls Gone Wild guy, and so he's getting girls at Mardi Gras to flash him just so that he can get it on film. And then in the second movie, it kind of highlights like that uh, he's not a Girls Gone Wild guy, and just like how super skeezy he is that he was just walking around recording women, which is exactly what Girls Gone Wild is. But Mm -hmm. also, like, I can't help but make the comparison that to be in Hatchet, their only role was to show their tits. And so Mm -hmm. what they were doing for the skeezy guy in the movie was literally (laughs) what what had to happen of, (laughs) hey, do you want to be in a movie? Oh, yeah. Cool. Show me your boobs. Like, like that's yeah. their only role. And so it feels, and again, not in a way that feels subversive. And I, it, uh, it, it I see where me. you're going with this. It yeah. really bugged I, me. I've, I've been wrestling with this a little bit myself too. Spring and Breakers, I, I feel like is doing a lot of the same. There are moments in it that I feel like it is kind of shoving the male gaze in front of you and saying, you know, look at yourself. Aha, you look terrible, don't you? Mm-hmm. But it's doing it through so much of just like, all right, here's the male gaze. Because, you know, aren't butts fun? And and so it's just, uh, I don't know. It bugs me. Bugs me a little bit and how it's presented. Hold on. There's one, I, last, thing, there's one last thing and then we can start unpacking some of this. <laughs> before this is where I, I wanted to start off, actually. So before I trail too far off, the other thing that bugs me, when Selena Gomez leaves halfway through and never comes back, yep. that is the moment that it really, really dawned on me. There's no protagonist in this movie this movie is set up to where selena gomez is supposed to be the protagonist like she should be Mm -hmm. the one that you are following her arc 
of she's this good Christian girl going to youth group and then she goes to spring break and everything falls apart and then and then she leaves and it's like well wait a second I you're supposed to latch on to a character it's they they psychoed you man they, yeah, she is the Marion Crane of this film. She is the one you think is going. You're going to have this great, you know, character arc with growth. This film could f-ing care less about personal growth. And Florida, and, well, is, and, Florida has nothing to do with personal growth. Ultimately, like true. what's great about We're it, too, is like she's. I, I love the way that her arc is basically like I'm. We're coming here to find ourselves because we don't know what our life is supposed to be, and this is incredible. I wish that life was like this all the time. And eventually, she like starts to see the dark side of that. And I think that her leaving the film halfway through, like her giving up on this, is actually a sign of growth. Like she recognizes the danger of it. She recognizes. Maybe and okay, but they, I, the film has literally given up on faith. That's, yeah, the movie, yes, the movie I, I like, loses I like faith, that I piece. Here's here's my problem with it. Here's my I problem. I think it's a brilliant way to escalate the stakes of the film. Like and, whenever she leaves, see, it's like disagree. all bets are off. At the, it, again, it is the psycho thing. It's like all bets are off because your protagonist is gone, and and these people have no moral center anymore at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just kind of an ironic thing for someone like Harmony Corinne to have a a good evangelical Christian girl to be the moral center of the film, which is just kind of, I, lo- I love the, the kind of dichotomy of it, but also the fact that like Christianity, I think uh, is widely known among people who are, who are not like so deep into the, the cult of it, that it is, yeah. it, it, it's, it's complicated. I'll, I'll say and that. It's, as a, and as it's a, not just a, up an upstanding Christian young girl. Right. It yeah. It is in Florida. Essentially, a Disney princess. He cast yeah, deliberately put Disney and stars shows in us just how little her morality means in this. And yeah, and exactly. I don't disagree with that. A lot of the things that the two of you have been saying, I don't disagree. But or sorry. However, using that Psycho comparison, uh, yeah, when when Marion Crane leaves in Psycho, uh, the rest of the movie still like she still matters in that movie it's still you you have her sister trying to find her you have sort of that passing of the torch from you're following this character until you get introduced to norman bates and then you're following that piece and yeah you can make the uh, argument that that's what's happening with alien but even in psycho you're still following that uh or or you know to use scream as comparison at least drew barrymore leaves early enough that like she very clearly doesn't matter here here's my but, problem well here's my problem when she's selena the catalyst gomez, of the plot in this but film, here's my problem but. with selena gomez leaving that early because and and it's not from a what did she mean or it's not from the fact that yes her name was faith like again some of the analysis that the two of you are already adding to it mm-hmm. i don't disagree and that is why despite this complaint I do still love this movie and, and I had problems mm-hmm. with it, but overall it's like, yeah, this, this is a great movie. It kicks ass, but I have this problem from a filmmaking standpoint of because she is set up as the only character that you care about when she left. I didn't, she is set up to be the main protagonist with she's, the yeah, I mean, that she's you were the, following. Yeah. She's set up that way. And it bugged me uh, that, 
it, it bugged me that she just then like starts calling her grandma like they could have had one of those montage scenes at the beginning with like her eating a uh, dinner at her grandma's house like there, that could have been a piece oh i hate bring, it oh, i hate it so no, much that i hate it I, Nathan, I, I, get out of here i'm i'm saying there could have been a way <laughs> to make it a little bit stronger of a connection but I love that there but is because, no connection, actually. No, I think that's very deliberate. We, it, we, we need to have her gone. We need to have her. <clears throat> the rest of the film, it's it's not her story driving. It's her absence driving the Again, story. I don't disagree so, with any so of that. Necessary. It's so I disagree that as a protagonist, she has still felt the rest of the film by not being there. More yeah. than if she had been trying to moralize. See, you know, I, we can't go wrong dealers no we shouldn't i also no just I'm, I'm, as not, a, I'm not even saying that she should have been like I, i'm not saying that she should have stayed i'm not saying that they should have kept talking about her after uh, she left what i'm saying is there should have been a little bit more actual like development to care about the other characters or to make it a little bit more to, to just establish the other women a little bit better so that it was an ensemble protagonist very flawed but an ensemble protagonist so that as the faith component uh, fell fell off you're still following that group of women you're still caring about them but as it is but, without, left, but without faith aren't you just following blindly which is what the point of this the three girls remaining are just following alien blindly they're so well, you think they I, I don't think they were violent. I, I think the point is that they don't have their own personalities. They can't. That's why they're so easily seduced by it all. Well, their personality is assimilation. Character. They're the fucking thing. Yeah, like that's what's so great about this movie, and what like I feel like that's the whole. Oh god, I love the fucking love this so much. This is this is to I, me I kind of like the whole. <laughs> This is the movie in a nutshell for me, and it's so good. Like I, I, I love that the movie presents Selena Gomez as the protagonist, and that it kind of pushes the. That's kind of what I was trying to get at before, and I was really fumbling my way through it. Was I like that the movie backgrounds them so much at the beginning, um, because of how much it pulls the rug out from under you once Selena Gomez leaves, Man, and it, it also. Oh, it's just it's just so from, good. So from an analysis, let me just say two more things, and then we can move on to some of this structure, other stuff. And I also just love as a just really quick as a as a person who has studied screenwriting. I mean, a little. I got took a screenwriting class in college, but like, <laughs> and I've read screenwriting books. But like, I have a general understanding of like the the typical formula of a screenplay and the three act mm. structure. I love how much Harmony Korine just throws his fucking middle finger up to like storytelling conventions in this film, and yes. the fact that he's like. He's like, there's no real structure to this film. It's very deliberately kind of elliptical and the way that the story mm-hmm. unfolds with like the editing style and there's a lot of repetition and it's mm-hmm. very it's very dreamlike without actually adhering to dream logic in the way that something like Suspiria does. Right. Well, um, I, I think of it more as almost like instead of dream logic, it's almost like a bad trip. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 100%. You, it, this is a hangout film that you desperately want to get out of the fucking hangout. Yes. But you can't. <laughs> and, so and you're and, just like, you are stuck riding out this bad trip, knowing you, yes. it was your decision that put you there, and you are stuck with it now, and yeah. you're not getting out of it until it's done. And 
and I think that's a good way to kind of circle. Unless back you around. just leave halfway through it, and uh, exactly, you know. yeah, you you're like right, me, you let, realize like this sucks. I have to go. I can't do this. I can't hang with this crowd anymore. Let me just mm. say two. I, let me just say two quick things, and okay. then we can start getting I'm, to some I'm of this deeper to, analysis. Because my ADHD again, brain is trying to remember to circle back around to your first point. But go ahead. All, go ahead yes. Again, all of this analysis is again what I love about this. Purely from just a filmmaking standpoint, it bugged me that I didn't care about these characters so that as stuff was happening, I was just like, all right, yeah, and it's I, it, it didn't get me invested beyond just like a basic they're humans and I don't want humans to die uh, sort of investment. At that point, it wants you to become enamored, not with the girls, but it wants you to be enamored with alien. I mean, Maybe. this is when you get I, the literal look at all my shit. <laughs> supposed to be like I, I want his life but, I, I, I might, as I might kind going, of be like this for a while as, as and then by the end of it you question and like, talking oh. about his shorts and his hats I was like no he's a fucking idiot I don't want to be like him at all and, but, but that but that is where that is where some of my complaints still lie of for this movie to be centered around four women and doing things that you would not expect a, a, a movie about four women to do. Like, again, this is the kind of thing that you would expect four dudes to be getting to some shit and, you know, having a lot of ruckus and all the, the women being a part of the movie are the uh, sort of like the prize for them. None of that would have been surprising because we've seen that movie. And so I like how Spring Breakers takes so many of those things and subverts them. However, there's just a couple of those things that really, really bugged me and why it, it bugged me to a point where I, again, I don't necessarily think that it was subversive. I think that it was, mm, I don't have the appropriate I, adjective to describe again, not caring about the characters and, and not having enough investment in who the other ones are so that when Selena Gomez leaves, it's just kind of like, all right, now now we're just following th- these people now mm-hmm. it's fine uh it it bugs me that again the the way that it is using the male gaze to to just focus even more on that and mm-hmm. and, and i think that it can it's- be done in a way that is interesting and then one last thing that is related to this but the the fact that all of this is centering around spring break I go back and forth on whether or not I think this is an interesting and clever way to, to subvert expectations or if it was just not fleshing out the characters as much. I like the fact that this is not we live in a terrible place and we want to better our lives. You know, like you get that in tons of movies where it's just I need to get out of here. And so anything that I can do to get me out of this hellhole, it's it's worth it. This was just, we want to go on spring break. They weren't robbing the people at yeah. the diner at the very beginning to find a better life. It was just for momentary escapism. Part of me loves that, and I think that it is brilliant that yeah. <laughs> rather than having a movie about, you know, like pursuing, again, even if it's a life of hedonism, <clears throat> pursuing a life of something that matters to them. This was purely just, all right, we want to break. It's, it's best fulfillment, though. I mean, it, espe- especially when this came out, we had been sold such bills of sale based on Girls Gone Wild and MTV Spring Break that if you don't do this at least once in your life, then you haven't lived. Yeah. And, 
And and again, it's, it's a, I, it's a thing that I think Harmony Corinne himself is reckoning with in a certain way, where like he he mentioned he's mentioned that like he never went on spring break, and this was kind of like his his way of of vicariously <laughs> living that experience, which is mm-hmm. it's kind of counter to the message of the film, at least what I think is the message of the film or my interpretation of it. But I also like that, like it, this. I, I was thinking a little bit, like Nathan, you and I did an episode with Graham Skipper about Lars von Trier's Antichrist. Yes, we did, and how that film is essentially like a way for him to deal with his own demons. Mm-hmm. And I think Spring Breakers, in a in a much less dire way, is sort of like that for Harmony Korine, where it's like he does understand why you would want to have this experience. And I like the way that I think the film is simultaneously like kind of making fun of these people while also pitying yeah. them. But, well, but here's, and, and everyone knows that spring break is not good for you. What? No, right. I, again, yeah. nobody has ever gone to spring break and went, wow, I went and made the best decisions of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know they're going to go and do something stupid, but we are so compelled to still do it anyway well and yeah. i love when selena gomez is calling her grandma and she's like i've met a lot of really interesting people like oh, that you like, love your grandma oh uh, yeah it's that, so beautiful i want to i want to like, like, bring you here next tree. year that discrepancy works and is hilarious because again i'm not disagreeing with anything that you're saying from the analysis standpoint one of the things and and this is probably just me overanalyzing but the fact that we do have this like oh here's a very you know, dude driven style film centering around four women. What? Mm. And they're mm-hmm. so fucking shallow. And and like, that's mm. just one of those yeah. things that bugs me of like, all right, a dude making a movie about four women going to Florida and half the movie, someone is, is topless and, the the women characters are not fully developed and their only motivation is just for spring break (laughs) to me it did not feel like a clever subversion of expectations it felt a little too like it was playing into those expectations and and it, Again, it I am probably because i don't think this movie plays into the girls gone wild stuff men are trained to think that hey you go to spring break you're gonna get laid and be but, shown boobs and girls if you go to spring break you must show your boobs and that's but like that's the thing that I, bugs me that, that's one of the things and and we're spending too long on this because i do want to focus on all of the other things that i yes think we are, are nathan great. move on <laughs> i thing bursting. that the thing that bugs me is the fact that because it's centering on the women that are not as fully developed that you don't care as much about and their entire drive is just spring break and like a little bit later on you get some of the stuff uh, at, at aliens when he's talking about look at my where like they talk about how they want that life it's almost more of like an afterthought of just like oh yeah i guess we could do that it yeah just, it it's good Mm. Okay. All right. All right. Me. All right. Jesus Christ. Can I? Can I jump in? Yes. There. I'm, there are my complaints out of the way. Almost okay. everything else that I have to say is so positive because man, this this movie was great. I okay, love it. Okay. Good. And I'm going to tell you why you are f-ing wrong on every single thing you just. Said. All right. I'm sorry. Are, I'm being a. I'm, I'm deliberately being a dick. I hope you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you, you know are. that I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so I want to start with the beginning of the movie. It's a very good place okay. to start because I think that. It's kind of key to understanding, or at least a key to my read on a lot of what's happening. So the opening montage is exactly what everyone thought this movie was going to be. 
it is the whole like girls gone wild, everyone's partying, they're playing dubstep, like the Skrillex scary monsters and nice bright song. People are partying, <laughs> having having a good time. And it goes on for for kind of a kind of a while. And it, it's to the point where like you understand why it's fun, but also like you're you're seeing these things that are just some of the most ridiculous things that you've ever seen. And and when you're not partaking in the fun, it just seems stupid. Like they're doing this shit where they have like the funnel that they're the men are like putting funnels between their legs and it looks like they're pissing in the women's mouth while they're drinking <laughs> beer. And it's just so utterly ridiculous. And and again, it is exactly the kind of movie that I think people are expecting. And part of the reason why I think the movie is so divisive is that a lot of people came into this movie like, yeah, this is going to be Girls Gone Wild with Disney stars and James Franco being a weird white rapper dude. And then so the movie weird. literally like there's like a gun cock, like a record scratch, and then it shifts immediately into the A24 indie kind of film that we now come to expect from this type from this company. Um, and what I think is so brilliant about that opening scene is it's so like high energy and and fun and like everybody's having a great time and there's nothing horrible or whatever. And then the movie goes on to show you many, many, many more montages that are very similar. Yep. But get increasingly more bizarre and more uncomfortable. And I think, like, you know, it goes on to, there's that one, like, uh, there's that one place where they have, like, dolls taped all over the walls. <laughs> and it gets, like, really weird. And, and whenever it starts presenting the other montages, you're getting different types of, you know it's not playing the dubstep music anymore it's like pulling in the cliff martinez score or like it's playing the skrillex song again but in this more like kind of somber way and the movie is like very deliberately rubbing your face in all of this hedonism in a way that you become kind of numb to it by the end like you get to the point where it's like this isn't fun this is just sad and pathetic and you've got these guys who are just like literally falling all over themselves trying to have sex with this woman who is denying, who's like using her body against them. She's like deliberately teasing them. And, and at a certain point, it just becomes very sad. And I I like the way that this movie is showing you that this isn't, like this isn't a lifestyle that somebody should want. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that the movie <clears throat> is, um, you know, Nathan, you're talking about how the, the camera... Even in scenes outside of these, like, you know, partying montages, like whenever the girls are out in the hallway doing their handstands and stuff, it's like very deliberately doing like crotch shots and shit. And it, it makes you uncomfortable. And I think it's supposed to. And, and I mean, I'm fully sympathetic to anybody who thinks that it is leering and exploitative and all that. I get it, especially since it is a film that is made by a male filmmaker. But it's Harmony Corinne, and he is a filmmaker who made it before. I mean, this is the most mainstream movie he's ever made. It, it is very mm. deliberately anti-mainstream. <laughs> but like, if you if you've ever seen something like Gummo or Julian Donkey <laughs> Boy, like those movies are insane, and they are designed to make you uncomfortable. And I think he wants you to be uncomfortable. He doesn't like. He's deliberately taking the the type of stuff that men especially white dude white straight dudes like us you know are like itching to see like yeah we want to see these crotch shots we want to see boobs and then by the end of it it's like i'm nauseated by this mm -hmm. like so i don't like the weirdos who are like excited that you know selena gomez is 
finally 18 and maybe she'll show her boobs in this movie or right yeah it's, you, it's deliberately... you know those people were waiting for her to do a movie like this in hopes yep yeah and, it, i mean they're doing the same people... thing with like millie bobby brown i was just about to say things, those people she's still just turned exist. 18 yeah like it's f-ing disgusting and this movie like harmony Crin seems like he's deliberately calling these assholes out on yep. their shit and it's mm-hmm. part of the reason why i i kind of push back and again i'm a i'm a white male I am. I'm just a normal straight dude, and I maybe this is just my read on it. It, I can see why I would feel exploited, but I do think that. Um, shit, I've lost my train of thought. Well, l- 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 let let me through. let me jump on that I, because there's uh, some of the things okay, that you ahead. said that. Um, so the scenes, uh, and this was one of the points that I would uh, did want to mention, but the scenes that are like the party montages. Mm-hmm. Especially some of the early ones, and and like you said, it intensifies throughout. But pretty much all of the party montages, this movie does an amazing job of capturing what people think is supposed to be fun, but capturing the sadness. And and maybe it's just yeah. because I know enough people like that. And while I've never been to any parties nearly that crazy, like I've been to sort of like the next door parties kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like, like I, mm-hmm. I know the people who are friends with the people who took them to that kind of party and like, then they would try to recreate it. And it's like, dude, this is just sad. But like, I, I've been close enough to that <laughs> where I've been in situations similar where it's just like, yep, everyone here is sad and I just want to leave mm-hmm. because it's not fun. And, and this movie right. does a really, really good job of capturing some of that sadness, especially the uh, the early montages where it's like the college parties and they're just kind of like, woo, college, woo. Yeah, the, 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 there's nothing about that, uh, about any of the characters that says that it's sad. It's just something about the way that it's shot or something about mm. just uh, the, the set design, something about those party montages. You feel the sadness. Yeah, I am on board with you there. And the way that this movie does kind of use the male gaze uh, against the viewer in many situations, I agree. You know, like there is there are a lot lot of little things throughout the film too. just just to add a little bit of context to it. Like there are a lot of little things, too, that I think the movie is kind of very subtly like hinting at like. At the, whenever you first see the girls, they're watching My Little Pony, and they like keep <laughs> watching it throughout the film, and they're wearing like the little brony masks or whatever at the end of the movie. And it's like the movie keeps like reminding you that these are still like very young women who have not completely come into their own yet, and their idea of coming into their own is based on these like this very shallow reading of pop culture that's telling them this is like basically the movie's like saying like this is an experience that you have to have and if you don't have it you're not a real person and or you like you haven't fully experienced life and they have been so like had this message beaten into them so much that they are willing to rob a diner to get the money to do this they're like so disaffected and detached from reality they even they even like the movie very pointedly is like just pretend like it's a video game or you're pretending like pretend you're in like a, a movie, movie or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like the movie's very, they're li- deliberately detaching themselves from reality and from feeling so they can achieve. Like, this is like supposed to be some kind of achievement for them to a certain extent, like well, an achievement in a video game. I'm glad you use it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you use achievement because, like, you know, at a certain point, this 
it to me it almost feels like the reverse of the reading of Mulholland Drive, where the intro of the film is the wish fulfillment of Betty, and the mm. last fulfillment is what actually happened to Betty. I feel mm. this the first film is the first half of the film up until Faith Meets is what their life is really, really like. Even to the point where when it shows the the robbery that we're speaking of, when you first see it, it's from Faith's perspective. You there's no there's no real violence to it. It's not down and dirty. She just is Oh, yeah. oh no, it's not Faith. It's uh it's Cody. Oh, not Cody. Cody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I love the. That, that's something I want yeah. to mention too. That you're, it's outside of, you're outside of that scene, looking in. Yeah. It's so and it, it's very it's sanitized. Till when you see it later, it is the video game version of it. Yeah. The, it's the, them explaining. You're hearing it. Yeah, they're telling the story and they're like really amping it up or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. so good the way that it's it's constantly showing point, you that and making you question. Under, how much of the narrative at this point is trustworthy. Right. Yeah. And how much of this is, is this how they're retelling it to people? Did they, you know, none of, no one who watches this film is going to believe that these two girls in bikinis wiped out a drug Lord's fucking crime, you know, crime. With bad. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, man. Whenever know. they start screaming in that parking lot, like recounting the story, they seem, they, they're, they're pretty scary. I'd be pretty scared to be around those women in that parking lot at that point, which again is, is part of the reason why to, Briefly circle back to what you were saying, Nathan. Part of the reason why I like that the the characters aren't very well sketched out, that you don't know much about them, that you initially see them just as an object that the camera lingers over. Because, again, it makes you it's it's weaponizing that against you in a way that makes you underestimate them to the point Mm -hmm. where, like, whenever like it seems so inevitable at the end of the film, whenever they basically take over this like drug empire (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yet it still sneaks up on you in a way that you don't expect. And I love the way the movie is playing but with those see, expectations. To, to me, it's not to me. It's not doing that because there are so many clever things about this movie. And there's so many things about this movie that uh, cinematically are done great. Like, yeah, the, uh, the blocking of the shots uh, from the car into the restaurant. That's a great shot. The, it's so good. Um, just circling around and you're seeing brief little glimpses of it. And yeah. It the lighting so when they're walking down the bridge when they're going into uh, into that compound is gorgeous. There's I can't so believe we haven't talked about how incredibly beautiful this film oh, is. It is. How it is it maybe is the best use of beautiful. the kind of neon lighting. I mean, this is is this kind of where like a lot of the neony shit that we get nowadays comes from. I mean, I guess well, it's, it's shot by Gaspar Noe's uh, cinematographer, yeah, Benoit Deby, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the man is, uh, knows his way around some illuminous neon. It yeah. is a beautiful movie. There's so much that's done so great. And it, there's like it's there's the color is used so specifically to evoke emotion. Like even with like the the outfits and stuff, like whenever they're in the parties, it's very much like all these bright colors everywhere and it's this explosion of of energy and and vibrancy and of youth and all that stuff and and then later on like even within scenes the lighting change like there's a, a shower scene later on in the film that replays a couple times and each time it plays it's a different color like first you see it in a in like a blue and then it's in a red and it's like obviously the lighting didn't change but it's not meant to be realistic it's more like expressionistic it's trying to evoke those emotions and it's yeah it's i, I love and, the the use of lighting in this and film. all really, of those things I it doesn't love. feel superficial like it yeah. like in a lot of other times all of those like things this. are great so to relate this movie to another movie that is a um, heavily mentioned on Video Monsters, 
comparing it to a movie like It Follows. It Follows. Sure. <laughs> I told you it was going to come up. I knew it would. It Follows. <laughs> it does have some great cinematography. There's some things that I love about it. But for me, it doesn't give me enough to overcome how much I just do not f***ing care about those characters. So it follows. It's like, yeah, I can recognize these. It follows has a very it. similar kind of atmosphere and, and, and vibe to it, which is probably sure. why I, uh, I love both of the movies. With it follows, though, like I, I can recognize the things that are done well, but it does not overcome the things that I feel like failed miserably. So overall, it's just like, yeah, this was done well, but God, it's such a disappointing movie. Spring Breakers. It's here are these things that bug me. They don't match up to how great the rest of the movie is. But mm. in a way, it almost bugs me more because of that. Because there is so much that is intentional and so much that is thought out. And, you know, I, I, I again, I love the fact that this is playing with the we're going to get out of here by doing crimes to get ourselves a better life. And it's just about spring break. I, I love that. I do feel like that is playing with some like- of those expectations. There's a ton that yeah. I love. With as much I also, as I love, I feel like these women could have been a little bit more, you know, not just there. I think the, for, for my money, like the way that I read it is, again, I didn't really, it, it's weird to say this because it's it's so antithetical to the way that we typically view movies, but like. I didn't feel like the characters mattered as much, which is so, so weird to say that. But like, exactly what I think I'm that saying. they're very, it's like the opposite of how I feel about almost every other movie ever made. But again, I think it's because of the way this film presents itself aesthetically and how it is this very, like a lucid dreaming kind of thing where it's got this very hazy glow to it. And it's, and it's, it's very deliberately using the form of film like a very unique form of filmmaking in the editing style to constantly like have these things loop back on each other. There's like the, the scene where, uh, you know, uh, Selena Gomez says something about like, Oh, I, th- I have a feeling something bad's going to happen. And then it kind of cuts forward to James Franco's bloody hand as he's playing <laughs> the piano, which then happens later on. And then it cuts back. So it's like the, the past and present are colliding in a way that's really interesting. But, but doesn't I think it... because of that, sorry, go, go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just think, I feel like this movie is doing, I like the fact that it's set at spring break because I think that spring break is essentially kind of like a way station between, you know, like in terms of college, it's like the midway point in the semester. It is the midway. It's like the point where you get a break between the first half, the second half, right after midterms, that kind of thing. And then it, in this movie, it feels like a way station in life where it's like, this is a crucial moment in time where you're going to decide what your future is going to be. And these people are choosing to pursue. This is such an obvious read on the film, and I want to steer away from it as quickly as possible. But I have to throw it out there. This is a film <laughs> that, like, it's it literally talks about the American dream. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the American dream in the classical definition of that is like, oh yeah, you can go to America and you can be whatever you want to be. And in this movie, their version of the American dream or what they achieve, what their ultimate life goal is, is to just accumulate shit look at my like look at my shit yeah it's like that is their idea of what it means to be successful like they're just so they have no ambition because of like how 
and I maybe this is just from my like millennial perspective, but I think about like how much more difficult it is for people my age to achieve their goals, to do simple things like the, I feel like the American dream for and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but for like Gen Xers or boomers mm-hmm. even is like, I'm going did, to. Did you just call graduate. Dad a boomer? No, 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 I'm talking about before. I mean, boomers and Gen Xers. <laughs> like the American dream there is it's like, all right, I'm going to get married or I'm going to go to college. I'm going to graduate. Uh-huh. I'm going to get a get married. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to have kids and I'm going to mm-hmm. live my life that way and I'm going to be happy and that's great. And I feel like for so many people in the kind of like millennial to Gen Z range, like that seems like such a fantasy. Yeah. And well, we, as a Gen Xer, because I'm going to like most Gen Xers attribute all great things to us. um, We we were the first generation to kind of go, this is stupid. It it wasn't so much that this was, this is unrealistic, that this is a fantasy. It's just like we, we saw it. Many of us participated and then went, this is the dumbest f-ing thing ever. Yeah. And Why then this anymore? Millennials Let's- inherited the stupid shit and didn't realize <laughs> it was stupid. And so it's like, in their minds, it's like the ultimate fantasy is, yeah, I mean, kind of like the, the, the other part of the American dream is I want to be rich. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate goal there is I want to be powerful. And there's something so sad about the fact that James Franco is so proud Mm-hmm. Of his shit, yeah. And, and he pointed out, he's the first thing he points out is I have different colored fucking shorts. I have different colored shorts. I have, I have shorts <laughs> in every so, color. Yeah, it's like really that's oh, your it's so flex. Hilarious. And he that even ca- weird flex. He even calls out like I, I love this too. This is one of my one of my favorite things ever is the irony of people who worship Scarface. Mm-hmm. He's like I got Scarface <laughs> on repeat constant y'all yeah. and it's like that is him. like he wants to be tony montana not Without recognizing what yeah, yeah what with no self, tony montana. <laughs> yeah with no uh no, no like no it's self-actual that's not the right word self-actualization so, but just no self-awareness of the awareness. fact that like scarface is a cautionary tale about accumulating too much power and mm-hmm. in this their idea of like being powerful and being great is just like i got a bunch of Shit, look at it. It's great, isn't it? Look at look at all this stuff. And the more you look at it, the more you realize it's shit. Like yeah. it's nothing. You're you nothing. Have, you have guns on your wall. What how is that helping anything? You are you are <laughs> like, delusional. Yeah. And so, it's so sad. So here's I I completely and It's like an indictment of just like how our entire culture is based around all this like shallow pop culture nonsense that people put way too much stock into. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that I love because that's also one of the things that I picked up on this movie. And again, I mentioned that rather than having the we're doing this to get out of here. I mean, even a, another movie that uh, I wish was better. But even with uh, uh, Don't Breathe, at least the one character is like trying to get out of a bad situation. So like I, I do love that in Spring Breakers, it doesn't have the we're trying to get out of a bad situation. We're trying to better our lives. I love that because it is. Yeah, they they say the secret to life break. is being a good person. I learned the secret to life. It's being a good person. And then they go and <laughs> murder a bunch of people. Like, and, and like, I, I love that. That piece is one of the things that I picked up on that does make this movie again. So fascinating that because it is so short sighted, you know, it is tapping into that quote unquote American dream of look at my shit. 
without any of the and now let me prepare for the future because you know i need to actually plan ahead and mm. and yeah it, especially because it's during spring break so especially because it's right in the middle of when they should be you know doing things to learn to get an education to better themselves so that stuff i love all of the analysis of that short-sightedness of, of materialism and the, the sort of broken American dream that only looks at, Look at my without any <laughs> of looking further ahead. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I'm completely on board. One of the things that you said at the beginning of all that, though, Eric, of the characters don't really matter. Doesn't it bug you that a movie that is centered around four women going against some of the gender stereotypes. The characters don't matter. Doesn't that bug you? Like that's the no. thing for me is I, no matter how good of a person you are or how individual you are, it doesn't fucking matter because the machinery will fucking chew you up. I mean, and honestly, I think it, it has to be no. women. Like, I think that they have to be women in this role because they have so they face so much more of these types of societal mm-hmm. pressures than than we but, do. But like, I mean, Alien is a guy who has he has been able to he's a fucking idiot. Like, let's is. be honest. He is a moron and he has stumbled his way into power. And the yeah. only way for these women to to be able to achieve the same kind of like sad, pathetic version of power. But it's something, some kind of control is to take it from him no no i, I think and and, I think and, you and, and he point. doesn't even I, see it coming think, because he's so i think that you yeah, missed my no, point it's no no when yeah, you said I, yeah and, and alien doesn't even get the glorious death that he would want no he just he walks out get, and just gets shot yeah. in the shootout he's but, just clipped boom but i think that that's i think that you're missing my point a little bit though when you said this is the kind of movie where the characters don't matter mm. like doesn't it bug you that's, that the characters I don't, I don't, like that don't matter? No, no. I think that the way that you phrased it is important because because that to me is my issue with it. But but again, mm-hmm. I love this movie. I know I sound like I'm complaining a lot. I'm really only complaining about like one or two things that just so happen to kind of <laughs> be infused in everything else that we're talking about. Uh, of just some of that gender stuff. All right, let's talk about well, a few other things because we have. Well, hold on. well I, I, yes, yes. It, it doesn't matter to me because I think this film wants you to at least see something of yourself in one of these four characters. You know, and in and order to do that, they kind of have to be sketchily drawn. The movie has an really identify with. Oh, I'm kind of like that person. I'm not really the leader of the group, but I'll join in and take yeah. my moment when I see it or. No, I'm the one who would step back and say I can't do this anymore. They, they are very they're all very broad archetypes that yeah. are and that's so we can project yeah. ourselves there and to show us I think to show us that you know what? Even if you go in with the best intentions, the purest of hearts hearts, that, that Jeff Jarrett Jesus juice, mm-hmm. you are and I hashtag trademark uh <laughs> juice, um, that you're gonna get seduced by this. You know, it will yeah. happen. You, and you might eventually see your way out of it, but you are gonna get taken up by this. And at I least do, a little. I do like that. Very, I like that they're malleable. I do think that they the characters have to be malleable to fit this type of story and this story that they're trying to tell. And so, yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I don't think that they're like. It's not like I hate them or think that they're pointless. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I don't think that they're bad characters i don't think they're very well fleshed out but I, that doesn't 
in my mind, I don't think that means they're bad characters. I think they're characters who are fleshed out externally rather than mm. rather than with through their Fine. internal motive. I mean, I think but, so much of it is but, more but just like a visual have, thing. Like you don't you also have. I don't side need characters. to know much about them but because you, they you broadly fit into people that I know. Like they they broadly fit into these categories of people that I grew up with to a certain extent or like it they fit these ideals that the movie is kind of putting forth and and, and, and yeah like Dan said that and I and I do like that because yeah there's plenty of movies where that's used I mean you know like even uh, even in Star Wars no one really wanted to be Luke Skywalker because he was a whiny little brat you wanted to be, I wanted Solo to be Luke because he was more of like that blank slate that it was easier to project yourself onto I get it totally there so like I, I I'm on board with that. However, even in those movies, there's a contrast. You have the very clearly defined this person that you're not projecting yourself onto, so that the blank slate can be a little bit more of uh, of that vehicle to then put yourself into that film. And if Selena Go- if Selena Gomez had been that character, I don't think that I would have had nearly as much of a problem with it. It's and and. The, I, again, I don't disagree with I what you're saying. I think the fact that you have a problem with it is is, yeah. is I think this film is trying to at that point make you try to want to identify with Alien. The the, the I, fact I think that this that's movie why that he's at that specific moment is this film wants you to kind of be seduced by that. And you know what? And, and again, the the fact that he's an idiot is even better because you're like, if this moron can create this little mini empire where he gets all this shit. <laughs> I could do this. I could go to Florida. I could do this. And it, it just plays more into that seduction of everything. And it, yeah, and I mean, it's, you it's also kind of... Well, l- l- let me just say this, because I right, we Sorry, are yeah, dwelling way too much on it, and, and I really don't mean <laughs> to sound like I'm complaining that much about it, because I do love a ton about this movie. The fact that some of the side characters are more developed... Then I feel the main characters again. Really? It just like who the um oh, I don't remember his name, but the uh like the other gangster, the alien is his Gucci? his mentor, Gucci Main Archie. Yeah. yeah, which also I love that his name is Archie because he is. Chase but Frank is he really developed? He's, I, he's, he's, he has a strong presence, but I don't think he's that developed. You just I, don't know I think alien that the and he is the big guy. You know that it she, is, he loves it when women play piano on his dick. <laughs> I didn't say that he was like the most refined character that has ever been put to film. Sure, yeah. It's just I feel like there is more development and more story and more we're giving you because of Alien, we're giving you a little bit more of this backstory and giving you almost more of an arc between the two of them. Whereas again, oh. I feel like all the women are just kind of there. Mm. It it bugs me. It really bugs me. It bugs me a lot. Everything that I love about this movie, that piece that bugs me, keeps driving that's through. Fun. That's fair. However, I, we're we're an hour into this podcast. I want to leave that behind. Uh-huh. I've been saying it for the last hour. It is yeah. very clear. You that it need bugs to get me. back on that bus with that point, man. Get back yeah. on the bus. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to give you a little bit of credit because thanks <laughs> no no i mean like i i do see where you're coming from because i think the big like for me i got my american dream spiel out of the way and i think ultimately what i really connected with with this film is we'd mentioned a little bit is kind of like the way that it is about 
power dynamics between people, whether that be power dynamics between men and women, between people in power and people who are um, who are in prison, <laughs> you know, who, who have had their power taken away from them because they're just trying to, you know, have a good time. Um, but I also think one thing that's really interesting is there are all these interesting things about the power dynamics within the film itself, but I want to start with the power dynamics between the actors and the filmmaker, because I do think that there is something there that I have a little bit of a hard time justifying. And, you know, we talked about how like Harmony Corinne lingers his camera all over these very young women's bodies. And, you know, there are stories about how, uh, you know, Vanessa Hudgens, felt very uncomfortable with her sex scenes and with the nudity and stuff and how she would never do it again. And I do think there is, and and not to mention the fact that this movie stars James Franco, who (laughs) is not a good person and has, uh, you know, maybe (laughs) uh, used his power to convince women to do things that they otherwise might not have wanted to do, including women who are under the age of 18 uh, or (laughs) were under the age of 18 when he was allegedly 30. (laughs) Um, we we have to make so, sure to throw in that allegedly in there. Uh, uh, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, um, That's why. So, like, I do think that there is a question of whether or not the filmmakers, against the message of the film to a certain extent, had too much power over the people within the film. And, and, and like I said before, Harmony Korine was putting these people in situations that they did not feel comfortable in. Um, quick, and, and, and the, quick, some of quick these partying scenes are quick side note, all of the party scenes beforehand that, uh, Selena Gomez's character faith was like totally fine with totally fine with how fucked up everyone was getting. I realized that after they got out of jail, she was sober. Uh, Faith, the character, was sober. And so I understand a little bit more of the, all right, now that you've sobered up, it's a little bit easier to see the danger that you're in. But also, uh, the only party that it was a bunch of black people, and that's where she felt uncomfortable. Again, something about that was just kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, when they're at the, we're at the, they're at the pool hall. Yeah. And like, nothing's actually happening they're just playing pool and she's like i, I don't feel comfortable i want to go home i want to go home yeah because i'm sure there's no white girls from southern baptist colleges who would feel like that at all i well i'm, I mean, that's the I'm thing, not right? saying like, that how geez. she responded is unrealistic to how unfortunately a lot of women uh, would respond in a similar situation it's just again it kind of plays into uh, some of what i've mentioned and some of what eric is saying of I feel like sometimes the message that maybe is trying to be conveyed is belittled a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's also a film that is about like, like the whole arc of James Franco's character is that he, he wanted to be bad when he, you know, everybody wanted to grow up and be the president or whatever. And he just wanted to be bad. And (laughs) the reason, and like his mentor was this black man played by Gucci Mane. And his whole arc basically becomes like, Gucci Mane becomes his worst enemy because he had, and and also there's the whole like situation with James Franco, where uh, oh shit, is it Riff Raff? I think was the is the rapper who was like accusing him of like plagiarizing and stealing his his look mm. or whatever. So like there are a lot of threads throughout this film that is about a white man trying to rip power away from a black man mm-hmm. in real life and within the film itself. <laughs> so there's some parallels there that I think are pretty interesting. Um, 
And I mean, you know, I, I do, I definitely see what you're pointing. Like, I, I agree with you, Nathan. I think I, I felt the same way too. Whenever that happened, I was like, oh, this is maybe not the best way to put it. But I do also think that, like, if you're in Florida and you have a bunch of uh, white teenagers migrating to Florida to go party, and they're going to, I mean, that's 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 just that's just the reality of the situation. They are going to have those inherent biases and they're going to be racist especially if they are coming from Tennessee where we live <laughs> um, I mean yeah that's it is interesting um, that isn't something that I'd put too much thought into but um, but again uh, what the f*** was I talking about, was you, I talking about the you were talking di- about oh, yeah, the power, power dynamics, dynamics of and, the people uh, James Franco and uh, Selena Gomez and, and boobs Basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even remember why I started going off on this tangent about the power dynamics of the film, but it's it's what I connected to the most and what I think is the most interesting thing about the film. Like, the whole American dream aspect of it is what's on the surface, but ultimately, the American dream or American nightmare, the way that the film presents it, is essentially just about people trying to have control over their lives and to, main, and to have some kind of power. And I really like the way that this film, when James Franco enters... He bails them out of jail because he wants to use them. He wants them to be his little playthings. And he has this the scene with Selena Gomez where he's like stroking her hair. And it's super, it's, it's incredible that James Franco is really good at being a total creep with young women. I don't know how he does it so well. He's a great actor. Um, but like it is so deliberately uncomfortable. And he knows the entire time that he is in control of that situation. And he forces her out. Which again, it ups the stakes because it shows you, it shows the audience and it, it tells Alien that he has the power. He's like, yeah, you can leave, but your your four little chickies here or your three little chickies are going to stay with me. And he falls in love with two of them oh, because... Lord. Really? Well, he thinks he falls in love with them. I, I love the... We haven't talked about the fact that during his look at my shit montage, the way that that plays out is so brilliant where he pulls the gun out and he's pointing it at them and they're like, Oh no, don't do it or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, you like that or whatever. And they take it from him and he is immediately put in his place. He's like, Oh shit, what have I done? And not only is he kind of initially like afraid of it, but he becomes turned on by it. Yeah. And he, he starts, succumbs to them sexually. You yeah. Know, they they starts, take over the power role in that dynamic. Yeah, I love that so much. Like yeah. he starts literally filleting. Oh yeah, well he says, you know, pistol. I just saw dick and I think I fell in love or something. Yeah, he, <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. And it's so great because it's like a twist on the dynamic where it's like he has always been in power to the point where, like, whenever he is the submissive one, he kind of enjoys it. Well, and, and also to the point where he wouldn't even assume that they would take the guns from him. Like it never yeah, he crossed had, his yeah. mind. Like, pff, and they're, even, they're not going to even, do this. Yeah. Even when he is in a position of submission where they have control over him, he's still not like he starts off scared, but he is turned on by it and he lets his defenses down because he doesn't believe that they would do anything that they would, you know, be his downfall mm-hmm. in any way. <laughs> uh, he doesn't, th- he, d- he never, it never even enters his mind in any way that these women could, take over his little slice of heaven or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> his, uh, um, his, his, his palace of shit, as it were. His palace of shit, exactly. Oh, man. I just, I just love that about it. I think it's so fascinating the way that the movie is playing with those expectations. And it's kind of why I, I 
I rebuff your your criticism of the women as as not very well fleshed out because I think that like that shows that they are in control in some way. Um, See, and for me, everything that you're saying, which I completely agree with, is what makes it even more disappointing that they aren't as fleshed out. And and I think that you and I... Oh, you're, you're getting the bus. You're bringing the bus back to Florida. No, the bus is coming no, back. The bus is coming back to Florida. Nope. It, it was just... I, I think I mean, it's we interesting. Are, it feels like you're blindsided by it in the same way that the it's not characters blind, are... It, see, now you're bringing the bus back. No, it's... I mean, I'm blindsided by it. Like, I, I didn't expect it to happen in the same way that James Franco didn't expect it to happen. And And I, again, I think it's because of the assumptions that I made about these women in the film and uh i don't know i just i like the way that i i like movies that 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 are constantly recontextualizing how i feel about something and this movie is so much about the kind like these kind of ironic juxtapositions like with the voicemail to her grandmother and you know overlaid uh the playing out over like all the scenes of partying and it's very much like the opposite of what you would expect uh like playing on those Jesus Christ, playing on the irony of it, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's it's doing the same thing with the audience and kind of f-ing with us and and our reads on who these people are and and what their roles are in this film. Mm, I disagree, um, but man, this movie is a lot of fun to watch. I will say that, <laughs> and uh, we we've already talked about the uh, the the lighting a bit. <laughs> We talked about some of that that sort of looping that they do that gives it a very mm-hmm. like fairy tale esque dream like quality where mm-hmm. it, it does oh, um, yeah. where it does kind of uh, loop back and forth where it's showing stuff not really like telling the future but like you said when something is like oh I, or when Faith <laughs> says I, I just have a bad feeling about this and it shows James Franco's hand or like where it keeps going back to them riding their scooters or where it keeps yeah. cycling through one of the things that I really again from a filmmaking standpoint one of the things that i love so much about that is some of it works great within the context of what is happening in that moment and and you get that beautiful scene that you referenced earlier after the uh potentially at best problematic sex scene where they are talking about their plan to go get archie and and they're like are you scared and and like that mm. piece that plays on. Oh yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it does it over and over. Are you scared? You scaredy pants. It's it <laughs> is beautiful. And, and then I he's like, "Yeah, it. I'm scared." Yeah, and like that. I think that, that it's, it's scene, one of the only times he lets himself be vulnerable. He it's like he can only be vulnerable around these women, and that just goes to show you how they have him like wrapped around their finger. And and I love that it culminates with them as they're going into the mansion. He's immediately killed. Like <laughs> doesn't like <laughs> the first shot right in the head and then they, it is now their story they have taken over they are completing the mission on their own yeah and and again <laughs> okay. like that that scene with the are you scared skatey pants it's a great scene because uh like you said the lighting keeps changing but also the way that they're saying it keeps changing and it reminded me mm. oh crap i'm trying to remember what movie it reminded me of it reminded me of i want to say something that i've seen oh no it reminded me of um Dave made a maze. There is a scene in particular that's like a dream within a dream that's happening where it does Uh keep looping back and and it's beautiful and I love it. The first time that I saw Dave made a maze, I didn't 
totally get that scene, but after like three or four rewatches, when it gets to that scene, I, I don't know something about it. It just it, it it's just so heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. Uh, and I think there's a lot that's going into it that I'm reading too much into the film. But that mm-hmm. same kind of thing happened in Spring Breakers during that scene that keeps looping. But one of the things that I love so much about the way that this film use some of the, uses some of those looping aspects and kind of plays with time, not in a uh, not in a this is happening out of time sort of way. So it's not trying to tell mm-hmm. it as a time loop story, but the way that this movie tells a very clear through line narrative with cyclical elements to me also ties into the. Um, we're not looking very far into our future and we just care about right now in the spring break and how fucking repetitive so much is and, and like how repetitive daily life is and even the spring break. Like it's, it's just another, you know, another turn in the cycle of like people, like you mentioned earlier, Eric millennials, just not really caring and feeling like everything is just the same over and over and over and nothing. Mm. So why bother planning ahead if everything is just going to be the same? So like right. that element, I, I love And it's and, not doing and, it in like a, Oh, these dumb f-ing kids kind of way. It's doing it like, Oh, these poor kids. They, they are so quick to like jump to the surface pleasures of life because they don't have that much to live for, or look forward to because of how f- everything seems to be all the time (laughs) and and again the way that this movie is using the cinematic language to play at the uh, again that repetitive nature is great that is brilliant filmmaking and and i love it and i i wish that i had time i wish that i had had time to go back and rewatch it to really focus in on what scenes in particular were looping but like especially with the um Again, especially after the sex scene where they're talking like, are you scared, security pants? The fact that that one is cycling so quickly, it's almost. Yeah. I it feel build, like it definitely builds. A, yeah. I mean, it, there's a there's a rhythm to it that is interesting because it the film at the beginning doesn't really do it. But the farther like the farther along you get, the more often it happens. So like it it's like it's it's uh, built into the narrative like thrust of the film. And by the end of it, like you are also, even though like these people are not really good people, you're kind of scared for them because it's like, you know, that it's going to be this care. Uh, but it is <laughs> because this movie did it, not it get me a lot of in the characters, but it's, it's a great bookend to an earlier pool scene where faith is talking about how she doesn't want that moment to end. And like, she wants making, to, yeah. And they're making fun of her. They're making and fun of her. And then later, it. This the the movie is visually giving you the they don't want this mo- this moment to end so they keep playing it out in their minds and we are just watching what is playing out. You're getting those snapshots. Yeah, that is great. Loved that. There's there really is a ton that I love about mm. this. I also um, one of the points I wanted to make too that I almost forgot about is the that kind of looping narrative that kind of dreamy aesthetic to the film i think really plays into my read of the film uh in terms of how it's about power dynamics because when you're dreaming you can be completely in control and the most powerful person in the world and do whatever you want in a dream or the dream can turn against you immediately and you are completely powerless 
to what is happening around you. You know, there's the, you know, people have dreams about feet being stuck in quick. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had a dream where it's like, I need to run away from something and I run away and I'm not going nearly as fast as, as I think, you know, it's like you're in quicksand or in sludge or you can't move or, you know, it's, it's not operating within that same kind of logic. And this movie, I think gets that feeling really well. Um, but it gets at that idea of like how how life can turn on you on a dime and how you can like with James Franco, he was on top or at least in his mind, he was on top. And then in one moment, it's all gone mm-hmm. and dreams are the same way. Um, and I just think that's a, that's so fascinating. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's just just so much about about it that just worked for me. Yeah. And this movie also uh, kind of going along with that. um <laughs> The way that this movie also earlier in the movie uses some slow-mo shots, you know, at the moment or at the time, I just thought, all right, well, okay, fine. It's an A24 film. Of course, there's going to be something in slow-mo. Of course, there's going to be people jumping up and down in Mm slow-mo. But within the context of what we've just been talking about, so much more of that actually feels, again, like intentional cinematic language of these are the scenes that they are trying to hold on to. And so Mm -hmm. like they're trying to just draw that moment out so that they don't have to get away from it. But when they realize that they can't hold on to that fleeting moment, it's almost like, all right, well let's just remember it as often as possible. And, and again, is some of that intentional? Maybe is some of that just, Hey, you know, what's cool. Slow-mo. Let's put something in (laughs) slow-mo. Hey, you know, what's cool. Looping something. Let's loop it to where it almost sounds like they're, you know, like doing a spoken word beat poet kind of thing. It could have just been that very, very, very realistically could just be us over reading a hold on hold on to that thought for a second because i I have a tangent about this well that 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 was it is just i it it very easily could just be hey this looks cool but within the context of the rest of our analysis i am hoping that it was an intentional way to again visually tell us Mm -hmm. how these characters are approaching their world all right, yeah, now. I don't care if it's intentional, um, but that's okay. Uh, so the the uh, one other thing too that I was thinking about uh, just now was um, I like the fact that in this movie uh, the the only way for these characters to get ahead is to exploit other people. I think that's pretty interesting. Like they uh, the way that they end up amassing their power is by literally murdering people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's pretty interesting too, where you think about like when we think about, uh, you know, the kind of social leaders in our society, all these billionaires like Elon Musk and all this stuff, like there's, <laughs> there's, the, there's this lie of the American dream where it's like, oh yeah, you can be a self-made man or self-made billionaire or whatever. And it's like, no, that's bullshit. The only way that these people ever get to the top is by exploiting others. Like there's just no way around it. You're not going to become a billionaire unless you are amoral in some way and you're doing something to put other people down and i think that this movie in its very like nihilistic millennial way is it's like this is this is a microcosm of that in in the most florida way possible where it's like i am going to i'm going to make it to the top of the food chain which is just i'm going to take over this dude's drug ring (laughs) and i'm going to do it but and, and they and they do it in a way where it's like they are justifying it by saying i'm a good person I'm doing this because I need to do this to be a good person or to be my full self in some way. And, uh, and they, they're using that kind of like 
circular logic of uh, um, uh, shit like the uh, to there's a word I'm looking for right now and I can not to equivocate essentially on uh, on what they're doing and justify saying like yeah we're doing this because we're good people and it's okay these are bad people and if we take over then you know maybe we can do good or something maybe I'm reading a little too much into that well but I, I, I mean I, this could definitely be reading it but doesn't that just sound like white privilege all over I, yeah I mean 100% it's, it's one of those things where it's like they're just all these people in this movie are so fucking delusional but the movie still sympathizes with them well even the opening robbery scene uh, opening scene even the uh, the initial robbery scene they're robbing like a diner where people are just trying to eat people are trying yeah, to put yeah, food on the God, table even, I, yeah, and they are robbing them begins with get, them robbing poor people i mean you know just regular old people yeah to get what they want yeah and and robbing them also through you know like fake means where they rob them with a water gun but but yeah mm-hmm. it starts yeah. with robbing people who just want to eat so that they can go spring break it up and yeah, I, I don't think that you're wrong in your read on that. Again, as is the case with most of our analysis, I don't know how much of that is an intentional piece and how much of it is just, hey, here's a cool set piece of uh, the car driving around the diner because it looks really cool. But but yeah, I, I absolutely think that that can and, and should be a uh, at least a partial read on the film of how of how everyone is just kind of pushing it off on someone lower than them to move themselves further up the chain. So yeah, mm-hmm. totally on board with that analysis. Uh, yeah, absolutely. God, it's such a good movie. We haven't even talked about the, what adds to the dreamy aesthetic is this wonderful, wonderful Cliff Martinez score that I absolutely adore. It is so good. And so, so good. And even the, I don't even like dubstep music, and I like some of the Skrillex stuff that they put in there, and the juxtaposition between the the two composers. Um, One of the things that I love, along with the music, is just the sound design. Like especially yeah. during the "Look at my shit" scene, there are so <clears throat> many just you know like uh, th- there's so many other sound effects that are infused into that. That when I was trying to find a clip for the soundboard, I was like, "All right, it's hard to find a clean enough clip." that doesn't have all this other stuff going on that adds to the intensity and, and the frenetic nature of what's going on. Uh, I, I did really enjoy the music. It absolutely added to the tone of the film. I was a little disappointed, but also not disappointed because it would have been so fucking on the nose that it did not have MIA's uh, paper planes. Like, <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. That, that, that song would have fit perfectly in this movie mm-hmm. so I'm, perfectly that it would have been too perfect and i probably so would have shrugged a little bit there but you know what oh f- i cannot f-ing believe we've been talking about this movie for an hour and a half and we have not talked about the greatest scene in the history of cinema holy shit the scene where they sing britney spears is, uh <laughs> it's, it's every time right i think that yeah. you have a very loose definition on greatest scene in the history of cinema what do you mean? It's the greatest scene in the history of cinema. It's, 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 the, it's the tiny dancer of this film. It's, oh, it's so yeah. That's a perfect. That's so perfect. Um, oh my god! I mean that that scene where James Franco talks about how Britney Spears is an angel on earth if there ever was one. Um, oh my god! And it's a song that's like about praying and about dreams and about 
fly. It's just, it's so, it's so good and beautiful and haunting. And even if it doesn't mean anything or whatever, it's just so the way that they start, that they start singing it and he's like really bad at singing it and (laughs) they all join in together and they're dancing at magic hour. And then it cuts Mm -hmm. to them robbing more people in slow motion while the actual song plays. It's just so gorgeous and disturbing. And it's, (laughs) it's, the the current situation of the world adds such an interesting component to that. Now. Yeah, that's yeah. He, he has Britney just Spears. gotten out of years, yeah, of conservator control of a male. You know, being under the control of a male, and what is like the thing she's doing the most now that she is out from under that thumb is posting posting naked selfies, nude <laughs> selfies of herself. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It's great. And you know what? Good for her. Like, Brittany, yeah. you do you. It's so great. I just, I, I, I did find that very interesting, That like, watching it in this current moment. Um, mm-hmm. There is, it's, it's really interesting because we've been talking about how this movie is so, like, nihilistic and how the ending is such a downer and how, you know, these women are, they're not making good decisions. But at the same time, I could easily see, like, a very midsummery, <laughs> kind of reading where it's like this is a good for her kind of movie where it's like good for you like you're you're toppling the patriarchy by the end yep. of this film and uh and, and i do love that aspect of it <laughs> like the movie literally ends like it ends with uh vanessa hudgens and um ashley benson driving off into the sunset in is it's either james franco's or gucci mains i think, I think it's, it's gucci mains car it, yeah because yeah. they took over his entire mansion on their yeah. own so great just so good i gotta love this movie yeah it's a great um, movie with problems uh it's, I mean, yeah it's a it's a great movie it's fine with some issues it's not long enough it's it's not long enough yeah it, it did not immediately spawn the alien and gucci main prequel <laughs> oh my god were- did you did you guys see that there oh, was yeah. going to be they they tried to make a sequel to this film um it was going to be directed by uh i'm not uh, written by irvine welsh is that who it is who, who wrote train spotting <laughs> and it was going to be directed this is the part that really f***s me up by jonas ackerland who did like spun and he's like the, the he did that mads mickelson uh polar film He's like the epitome, uh, like he's a filmmaker who is so committed to being like controversial and he, he's like a total, like, I'm going to put a bunch of, I don't know. Robert just, says that sounds he's, terrible. He's the epitome of the, he's basically the filmmaker. His version of this film is kind of what I expected most people to think this film was, where it's just a bunch of tits and blood yeah. and, and shit on screen and it has no purpose and it's just there to be. Uh, provocative and all that stuff with with no real point and that just sound the fact that is it Irvine Welsh I, I have to look this up I can't remember I, if that's the right name um, the fact that he he did train yeah he did train spotting yeah, yeah he did the he, did he do the screen he did the novel right he might yeah. have wrote the screenplay too um, yeah Irvine Welsh the fact that he was on board is interesting and I kind of like the idea of the tension between him and Jonas Ackerland on screen, but I think they ended up shelving it because like James Franco and Harmony Corinne were both like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with this. How dare you try to use this name? The the Spring Breaker. The good sp- you how dare you besmirch the good Spring Breaker's name? <laughs> um 
groan but yeah, is what so, I have to say to that. I, uh, I think it's terrible. All right. Yeah. So yeah, Spring Breakers is a really great movie with tons of really great things. A few problematic issues <laughs> that I think deserve the hour plus that we spent talking about them within the context of how much this movie does great overall. Mm-hmm. I do completely agree. This is a great movie. I had so much fun watching it. It is one that I will definitely recommend to some people, other people like, you know what? You're not going to like this. Just don't just don't. Yeah. Uh, it's not surprising. This, this movie has a 2.8 on letterbox and like <laughs> as much as I love it, I, it, it kind of bothers me because I, I spent a lot of time reading through letterbox reviews of this movie. Cause I just find, I love polarizing films and I love to see how people react to it. And some of the people who hated the movie, like reading their reviews was kind of infuriating because they're missing the point and they're like literally I, I I do understand why people like thought this movie is basically about like, yeah, we just want to throw some titties on screen and have James Franco be weird because the movie is kind of a commentary I mean, on that kind of shallow read on, on pop culture. But that's also kind of exactly what the movie is. And I forgot to make my joke earlier about how, uh, you know, it's it's nice to see James Franco not having to actually act in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, 100%. Ugh. Pretty much like a few days after watching this, I watched The Disaster Artist. I, yeah. I hate how good this man is. Like, he, he, he seems to be a giant dirtbag in real life, but f- the man knows how to create a character yeah sadly people who make great art also do terrible things and mm. we could have a full other like five hour conversation five hour plus mm. about the uh you know about how great art comes from terrible people sometimes and that doesn't mean that the artists should be excused for their terrible terrible behavior and also that doesn't always mean that people who enjoy the art that was created before the terribleness came out should be demonized yeah. for enjoying their art. And it's yeah. tricky and like, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky, you know, <laughs> call out the shit when you see it, stop giving work to the shitty people who do shitty things. And also don't demonize people who also liked the movies that they've made beforehand. You know, it's, yeah, here's it's the thing. really complicated. People are complicated. Yes. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. People yeah. are complicated. And sometimes <laughs> movies are complicated. And, all of that. Mm-hmm. and it's a good thing. Um, and that leads me to, I, I would like to ask you all for permission to indulge me in a tangent. <laughs> Very briefly. Never. I briefly, uh, I kind of gave you a little bit of a heads up on it. But so I was reading some of the letterbox reviews. And I couldn't find it again, so I can't give you the exact wording of it. But there was one letterbox review in particular that like really, uh, really got my goat, uh, <laughs> if you will. He basically so this person had posted an interview with Harmony Corinne where he was talking about how like he had been he had had the idea for Spring Breakers in his head in some form or fashion for like a decade. But it started off just kind of like as a series of like images and and the movie in his mind was more like the general atmosphere um, rather than being like about anything in particular. And in the transcript of this interview, it adds in a lot of the like kind of colloquial, like it adds in a lot of the like stammers, like there's a lot of ellipses and ums and ahs and like instead of 
like the way it's transcribed, it puts all of that in there rather than cutting that out like you would get in a normal interview. And in it, it basically is like, yeah, you know, I didn't really know exactly what Spring Breakers was going to be about. I just kind of like had a had a vibe in mind and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And then this person, I think it was like a one star review. And this person was like, yeah, we know you didn't know what you wanted to say or you didn't have anything meaningful <laughs> to say or whatever. And it just it really flew all over me because I I think this is I think the way that people talk about film nowadays is so um, li- like literally polarizing. It's so binary and so one dimensional. And it's so frustrating to me because it's like there's this really famous quote from Stanley Kubrick where he talks about how a film like is or should be more like music than like fiction and how it should be like a progression of moods and feelings and, and how the theme and, you know, the, the characters and what you're trying to say, all that should be secondary to the actual film, to the actual experience that you have with the movie. And it also reminds me of ironically something that Stephen King talks about in on writing (laughs) Um, where he talks about how, like, when he has an idea, he just sits down and he writes it out. He writes the story. And when he finishes the story or gets to, like, he doesn't even outline or anything. He's just like, I write until I get to what feels like the end, and then I put it in a drawer and let it sit for, like, a month or two. And then I take it out and I go back through it and I read it with fresh eyes. And at that point is when he starts picking up on the theme. It's like it's an unconscious thing for him when he's writing it the first time. And as he's going through and editing, and he starts pulling that out and trying to find that connective tissue a little bit. And I really hate the way that... And, and I don't mean to be mean. It's it's fine if you read movies. It's bad. But like, <laughs> it, it bugs me to a certain extent how so many people... It seems like when they go into a movie, they want the filmmaker to tell them how to feel. And I like that a movie like Spring Breakers, despite the fact that it is kind of like pretty on the nose about certain things, like its whole American dream thing. Like, I like that this movie is very open to interpretation, that it is its its primary focus is kind of on the, the aesthetics and on making you feel something and drawing you into what this like, just drawing you into this very specific milieu. Uh, and I think that that's why I liked it so much was because I could like I spent so much time thinking about it because the movie wasn't constantly telling me what it was about and it's doing things that are subversive that you don't expect like Selena Gomez dropping out halfway through the film and again despite like being very obvious about things like the fact that her name is Faith and you're losing it and all this other stuff like I if if Carmen and Corinne didn't know what he was trying to say with the film that's totally okay because sometimes like even right now, I still feel like I'm I'm fumbling with what I'm trying to say here. Sometimes ideas exist in my head. Like I know exactly how I feel about something in my head, but I don't always know how to say it. And the great thing about movies is that it is a visual art form, and you mm-hmm. can say what you need to say through images that makes sense, at least in your head. And you can let other people. You put the movie out there in the world, and you let other people do with it what they will. It's not yours anymore. You let them draw their own meaning from it. And Nathan, this does kind of, we had a little bit of an argument recently over a Vulture article. I was going to save that for a different argument uh, uh-huh. when we talk about, you know, something that's a bit more weighty and, uh, and, and horror and, you know. Yeah. And I 100% horror, see horror your, your side of it. Basically, this argument was like that, that horror films are too obvious in their metaphors, <laughs> essentially. And that filmmakers are 
are um, making movies around an idea rather than making a movie and pulling ideas out of it. And I, you, you posted it and you were like, this guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's clear he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and I kind of pushed back a, a little bit because I was like, I kind of agree because I do feel like, I mean, it's something I love about horror. Like horror is metaphorical. It is political. It is supposed to be that way. But I also feel like there is this push that everything means something. It has to mean something. It has to be important. It has to do this thing. It has to say something about life. You have to learn something from it. And it's like you go back and you watch some of these great metaphorical horror films like Dawn of the Dead. And it's like there's a film that's so much about consumerism in a similar way to like Spring Breakers uh, on a certain level. But it's not like beating you over the head with the metaphor. And I feel like a lot of movies nowadays are very, very much telling you how to feel and are wanting to make sure that you don't get the wrong idea about what it's about. You know what I mean? Like, so uh, I have I have three responses and I'm going to try to make sure that they are as succinct as possible. One, I think that there is a difference in when you're like, you know, sometimes I just have like all these ideas floating around and I don't know if I'm really like getting them out the way that I want them to. There is a difference between having mm. these ideas in your head and not knowing the best way to fully communicate them and uh, not having anything in your head and just throwing shit at the screen. And I do think that sometimes though I'm, you get I'm great not art saying, out of that. I'm not mm, maybe. I'm not I mean the that room to talk I'm about the saying, disaster artist. The room is a fucking disaster of a movie, <laughs> but it is incredible. It is truly abysmal filmmaking that like that like co- goes to a level of high art because there's just no fucking thing but. like it out there in the world. And it is incredible. It is an incredible like representation of the mind of an insane yeah. person. But, but, but at least you, you don't ever see a man lay bare his insecurities so well without meaning to. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think we so often get hung up on these, like these ideas of what a movie should be that we don't, that we don't look at a movie for what it is, even if it's not, even if it's not the movie that the person was yep. trying to make, if mm. people get something else different out of it that works for them, then that's a beautiful mm. thing. That's why art is so great. Sure. Uh, Tommy Wiseau, though, I think also had an idea of what he wanted to do. Like, yes, that is a well, beautiful yeah, movie. He what? wanted to make a, str- like a streetcar named Desire. Uh, named Desire. <laughs> like, Anywho, he wanted to I, make a I Brando that, film. I think that there's a difference between someone having a lot of ideas in their head and not knowing how to fully bring all of those together. And so what they end up with is a little bit more disjointed and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit less um, uh, traditional narrative. And I think that's fine. That does not mean that every person who makes a quasi-experiential or experimental film knows what the f*** they're doing. There is at sure. least one movie that I can think of that I am not going to name because reasons. Uh, I also that, just think I, it's bullshit, Hold on, hold on. say, like, this on. is a bad movie because the filmmaker didn't have a coherent message. It's but like, that's, that's, that's different. your read on it. But. That's, there's a difference between... There's a difference between having those ideas and not knowing whether or not they're fully coming out and someone thinking that they're being extremely profound and putting out pure shit. There's one movie sure, yeah. that I'm thinking of that I am not going to say on air for reasons. Um, 
I, I feel like those two things are very, very different. Also, uh, Robert Woods posted in the chat that uh, a lot of Harmony Korine's movies are a lot more experiential rather than story. Mm. And that's something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. We talked about that with Under the Skin. We talked about that with Possession. We talked about that with Suspiria. We've talked about that with a number of movies where it's less about what is the story that's being told and what is the experience. Experience that you are getting yeah. from this piece of art. I mean, I went on. I think a, I just missed movies like, that are experiential. Well, and like I went that, on so like many a movies solid, are so like, like serialized now. Sure, and you know, and planned things, out, and everything thank, has to connect, and you have to have all MCU these like for all of that. And I went on I like you know uh, about put, putting you through an experience. Sure. And again, like 2001 again, thank MCU for that. And I went on like an entire 15 or 20 minute tangent about, you know, like folk art and, and all of that stuff. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I am fully on board with all of that stuff. The, the third, the third response to that, and I'm trying to bring it all back around now because it's starting to get late and I'm starting to get tired. Yeah, no, um, I'm sorry. Oh shit. It was the, so the first piece was there's something different between having the ideas and not knowing how to fully get them out versus not having any ideas in the first place. Oh, oh, it was the, um, in response to the article of, Oh, all of these horror movies, like they're just, they're too on the nose with their metaphor. Ugh. The reason that that article fucking pissed me off was just like, you know what? Fine. Cause he said, if all this is a good movie, I, 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 <laughs> it's uh it the the impetus of the article was that alex garland's new movie men is too on the nose and too like well yeah i'm i'm surprised that they didn't just name her eve with you know her picking an apple in the beginning it's just like yeah motherfucker, quit complaining about a movie that has a message being like oh the metaphor's yeah. too obvious well, he all does right, also like say fine. that men is not the worst offender and that it's he doesn't mean it was I guess it was just the catalyst for the idea. But but no, I, I'm with you. So the catalyst of I wish that movies stopped having a metaphor like it's it's just it feels like it was the straw. No, I don't think it was. I don't it does. It's not that I want movies to stop having metaphor. It's, I want movies to stop telling me how to feel about everything. Okay, and telling here's, me what it's here's supposed the difference. To mean. Here's the difference. And be overt in its messaging here here's the difference um i love listening to leonard cohen i love mm-hmm. listening to um uh oh shit uh well, i'm drawing a blank on their name right now oh uh, i love listening to the thermos i love listening to warren zevon i love listening to harry chapin and all of these other artists <laughs> that weave very intricate and and sometimes subtle and sometimes bizarre stories into what they are telling through their music. I also fucking love punk and Nazi punks fuck off. Like mm-hmm. there there is a those two things cannot be the same. You can't equate punk music very direct, very obvious wearing yeah. its very raw emotions on its sleeves of again telling nazi punks to fuck off you can't equate that to mm-hmm. other much more subtle much more nuanced um you know songs where the the theme is buried underneath levels and levels you cannot equate those two because first yeah. off those are different kinds of songs they're different kinds of artists but also they're right. born out of different eras 
and sure uh, older horror movies were a little bit more subversive you know uh, George Romero was uh, more subversive in the way that he dealt with things even though I think that he was very on the nose with the way he, that he handled a lot of stuff a, a lot yeah. of the filmmakers that we adore it's like oh man that's so clever and how they you know intertwined this 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 and that yeah that's great and and I love them for that and I'm those are great and amazing movies it's also true that modern horror with its social justice message on its sleeve is in part a result of the environment in which we are living of listen Mm -hmm. that's that's a good yeah subtlety sometimes gets lost especially whenever we live in a in a world where like like the shit that is going on in broad daylight is so beyond satire yeah it's like the The, kind of shit that like would be considered bad writing so because of how on the nose it is as an example lucky starring brea grant i knew you were gonna bring this up yes i adore that movie its message is on the nose it is blatantly obvious what the message of that movie is and it needs to be that obvious and you know why because of the countless countless women who either do not come forward about sexual abuse because they're not going to be believed or the women who do come forward because of sexual abuse who are not believed or when they do come forward and the response is oh they're going to ruin this poor man's life off of that bullshit like Mm -hmm. and and like that is where i get angry at the horror movies or messages that are too on the nose it's like sure Mm -hmm. but also how many thousands upon thousands of women who have a true life story to tell are not believed right need a movie like lucky to show like yeah no like we get it and men need to see this movie it's it's gonna fall flat on them and i don't care if someone's like oh the message is on the nose yep it's because of the truth also just completely gets ignored and so i yeah. can understand someone getting annoyed with some of the modern whatever i still think that it's bullshit for that to be like a complaint piece about oh men is too on the nose with how men are shit yep mm. they are yep. period so. yeah sometimes the truth needs a sledgehammer i do exactly agree with Thank you, you and i 100 100- I 100% believe that there is a necessity for punk rock movies to just be in your face about what, like, to to try to shake you awake and, and like, deliver a message in the most blunt, impactful way possible. So don't get me wrong. I'm, let, I'm with you. Let, I, let, I see where you're also, coming from. Let me also quickly, I, uh, side note, Eric, I know you very, very well. I know that nothing that you are saying is, like, on board with that. And all of my uh, anger... <laughs> was not directed at you because oh, no, no, yeah. that you yeah, yeah. I, I know you well enough to know like eh, that's not you uh no yeah and, I, and I know the, you as well so I, the, I didn't take offense or anything I know the, your body dude well but also uh I'm for the listening audience <clears throat> the anger and all of that stuff that I was just saying was not directed at Eric it was directed at society yeah and also that article well, that complained about and, and I, I love metaphors. that we're talking about all this talk masculinity knowing that our next film is the lighthouse <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe we should have saved it for that oh it's a good segue it's a, it's a good lead in it's a good exactly lead-in. this is just the appetizer um but i do think though i think my the prawn where i'm coming the from lobster as it were 
Do what? So the prawn cocktail to the lobster? Exactly, yes. I think, though, for me, it kind of begs the question where it's like, how there is this sort of like Ouroboros effect to it where it's like, okay, people are stupid because our (laughs) pop culture is constantly being dumbed down and people want to be told how to feel. So we need to be very direct on our message so that people get it. But there's a certain point where if every movie is doing that and more and more movies are doing that, how much of that is delivering a message that people understand and how much of that is just insulating people from nuance to a certain extent? Does that make sense? Where it's like people are at a point where it's like the discourse online is so fucking toxic all the time because people are just constantly like, oh, this movie's stupid because uh, it didn't mean anything or that person didn't have anything to say and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, maybe you just, maybe it just wasn't for you. Maybe you just didn't understand it in a way and maybe it didn't resonate with you the way that it would resonate with someone else. It doesn't mean it's bad. And it's why when I talk about movies that I don't like, I try my best to frame it that way where it's like, I, it might not be might not have worked for me, but maybe it works better for someone else. And I know I fail at that because I'm human, but (laughs) I don't know. There's just something about this conversation I find so fascinating because I feel like people do not have the nuanced conversation about it. And it is such an all or nothing kind of thing. And part of that is just because it's a conversation that's happening in sound bites on Twitter. (laughs) Um, I don't know, though. I do... When I watch a movie like Spring Breakers, I think part of it is I'm just so like invigorated by it because of how it is so unlike, so unlike, so, so unwilling to tell you how to feel about it. And it is so messy and it has these things about it that are complicated and that you can't, like that I had to reckon with in a certain way where it's like, is this movie, like it's, trying to have this sort of feminist message, but it also is a film that's about dudes leering at like the, the cameras literally lingering over these women's bodies. And like, I don't know. I just, I appreciate movies that make me think about them, make me reckon with them in some way. Whereas so much of what I consume is just like feeding me exactly what I want to hear. <laughs> Preaching to the choir in a certain yeah. way. Well, I mean, this, this film definitely gives you the warts and all of, of yeah. this life. And the movie also still like it does still do that spoon feeding kind of yeah. stuff to a certain extent, yeah, and and, it, and what's people still missed it. Yeah, it, it it shows you why this type of lifestyle is seductive. It shows mm. you how destructive this lifestyle can be, and kind of still lets you choose. You know, yeah. You you can you can come away from this film going, those girls kicked ass. Yeah, look at them. You know, they're drug lords now, or just. Holy fuck, what have they done with their lives? Yeah. There's, it doesn't um, really do any moralizing where it's no, like, it yeah, just it all. just kind of presents it. And honestly, it can present it to the fact where is is this even really fucking happening? You know, yeah. or is this just you know, is this just the way they, they hoped this worked out? You know? Yeah, especially like the with Selena Gomez leaving halfway through the film, it's like, is this just like what she's imagining? Is what happened, and and again, it's normally a thing that I hate because it means that yeah. it's like, oh, this didn't actually happen, so does it mean anything? Does it actually oh, mean anything? But but it avoids the pitfall of her, like the last scene of her in the movie, you know, presenting this as a fucking creative writing, you know, paper. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't get that explicit? 
Exactly. You know? Yeah, I don't like it when the movie is very like very much coming down on the side of like this happened or it yeah. didn't yeah. happen. It's- Literally this week watched the horror movie come true, which was pretty good. It was mm-hmm. it had some interesting stuff to say about dreams. But the very last scene of the film is this girl setting her because it's about this sleep study where people are tapping into the human unconscious and seeing what goes on in our heads and blah, 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 mm-hmm. our fears into the real world. And the main character is this girl. And the last scene of the movie is her like setting her phone down and her phone is ringing and you see a message pop up that says, you know, you've been in a coma for 20 years. We're hoping that <laughs> oh, maybe Jesus. this is the message that will be able to reach you, you know, reach through to you. And you're just mm-hmm. like, you just ruined the whole I think doing that. Yeah, I think the film at least avoids that. I think the big problem with something like that too is it's so often presented as a plot twist. Yeah, like it is not something that's organically baked into the film, and and sometimes like you have to front load a movie with that information so the audience doesn't feel like ripped off by it. Something like a like Eternal Sunshine or like Mm -hmm. um, or Cell, you know, where it's like we're very much telling you this is what's happening. Then I think mm-hmm. that makes it so much more interesting because you have the context to read it in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we you know, the movie's telling you how to read it, which is the opposite yeah. of what I've been saying. But, but <laughs> I do think that that whenever you front load it, it doesn't feel like a cheat. Yeah. And and, and this film kind of lets you know by saying over and over, you know, I'll just pretend it's like a video game. That, you know, what we're seeing in that final scene with these two girls just, you know unlocking the achievement of drug lord yeah the- it's they they beat the video game they they beat the video game um that you know, the, like the- this might not be the way things happened and that's okay if you want to think that it's like the did you there was a they did a a, a ps2 game i think it's ps2 uh of scarface oh yeah they did a sequel to scarface where it oh. turns out tony montana did not die at the end a Scarface, and he you end up having to kind of go through the motions of it all over again where you have to build your empire and all that stuff mm-hmm. and it's like I, I played that i don't even remember how it ends or anything but there's something about that that's like you're f-ing missing the point like so mm-hmm. why would you do this so i had to step away for uh, a minute so i don't know everything that y'all were saying but we do need to wrap things up because we do. Yeah, it's yeah. getting sorry, late. Too much but fun. I, I want to say one thing that relates to uh, to video games that uh, that you were just talking about, as well as how they're a power playing, fantasy. Uh, how about their power fantasy and wish and spring breakers and wish fulfillment and and one of the things that um, you you can't really fault this movie for because again it's just part of society, but with so much actual violence in the real world and i mean you know how many news stories have come out within the last two weeks where it's just like within the last two hours so like there's so much in in society where um where guns have been you know viewed as just like oh well it's just another part of a game or it's another part of a movie and so the way it's a constitutional right that you have that you should uh go on on. Like we don't have time to get into know, all of the rants about that. <laughs> I'm just talking about how in Spring Breakers, the way that they, um, the way that they use uh, like the water pistol at the beginning, and then the way that they uh, are sort of like playing with all of the weapons at at aliens, and the way that they treat weapons in this movie. It's very callous. It's it's very. 
it's very callous it's very unsafe it's very this is a toy and just you know like part of yeah like part of that power dynamic wish fulfillment of uh, just like oh yeah treat it like a game treat it like a movie which unfortunately so much of society actually does and um and and again i, mean, I don't because- I don't know how much of that is a commentary from Spring Breakers and how much of that is an unfortunate just reflection on, a, again, that cyclical nature of society and, and how violence perpetuates violence and how mm-hmm. terrible perpetuates terrible. And again, we don't have time at this point <laughs> to get into as much detail, um, but I also feel like that's a pretty pretty on the nose point that we can pretty much just uh set it there and be like yep, on the that, nose that would make sense and not have to dive too deep into that analysis the real world sucks mm-hmm. um the <laughs> is it's not funny but it also amused me in one of the other discord channels that i'm in uh someone asked about the new cronenberg fil- uh, film crimes of the future to which someone else said, nah, we have enough crimes of the past to worry about. Don't have time to start <laughs> adding future ones, too. <laughs> which, uh, that's funny. Which amused me in a sad way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sad because it's true kind of thing. All right. Oh, man. This we has probably, been wonderful. We could probably <laughs> go on, on and on about this. Again, despite my criticisms, Spring Breakers is a great mm. movie. I had a ton of fun. I adore the movie that also does not minimize the complaints that I have. I think that it's very, very important within the context of how much I love this movie to also highlight the issues that I have, especially within that context, the other conversation we had of, I think that it's okay to love art from terrible people. Let's call out the terrible people for the terrible things they do. And, and you can still love the art. Let's just, you know, maybe stop letting terrible people get money for doing terrible things to people. Anywho. And you know, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. All right. I'm I'm uh, starting oh, by the to way, get angry oh, tired where if we go too much further down that I'm just gonna be screaming. I know, I know. I'm, I'm gonna have this time that we're like slowly sliding into our fing we we've we've gone from our dream and we're sliding into a nightmare now and we we gotta <laughs> we gotta wake up before it's too late. Well uh, sadly that nightmare is the reality of the world. Um I I, I don't know why, I just wanna say Harmony Corinne, uh he's a Tennessee boy. <laughs> uh, you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of Tennessee boys uh, making films. I just think that's cool. That's true. Um, representing Tennessee, yep. Is that? Uh, a good or a bad but apparently thing? he's uh, he's moved on to Florida at this point. Florida, I think, is just such a great exaggeration of everything that's wrong with Tennessee. Sure, <laughs> but in a way that you can uh, make like incredibly cool looking neon aesthetic boobies, beer <laughs> pools, beach, all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh huh. All right. Let's yeah, this is, yeah. That we've re- we've reached that we're sliding into the. Uh, we're just going to say one word. <laughs> word period. I, word period. I yep, wish that, that we still had done. time to talk about Midsommar, but we do not. Uh, so let me just quickly say we already mentioned this a little bit at the very beginning of the episode. I do think that this was the right call. I think that this gives us a different kind of movie that we uh, typically don't dive into as much. Midsommar very much is the kind of movie that we have spent a ton of time talking about. And it's not going to be a surprise when we eventually do talk about it. I watch Midsommar. I'm so sad that we're not talking about it because I have so, so much to say about that movie and the way that that film deals with uh, gender roles and power dynamics. And, you know, good for her. All right. (laughs) 
Uh, Hashtag good for her. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, Dan, where do you want people to find you? Find me over on Twitter at HBO to front row and at HBO to front row.com. And Eric, where will people find you breaking your springs? Uh, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, you just threw me for a loop. I was trying to like think about like, I would be breaking springs. In, okay, never mind. That's, oh, that's uh, why okay, so I'm is, uh, you know, playing on the movie. <laughs> what I'm going to do is where people can find you. Uh, there are no, no, uh, no springs are broken in this film. Actually, <laughs> so good point. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ! Uh, I'm the Chimerican. I'm on Twitter. I'm T H E C H I M E R I C A N. I am also on Instagram at Chimerican Reviews and on Letterboxd at Eric J A Y. And you can follow me slash the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Video Monster Pod. You can also follow me personally on Letterboxd at The Gargoyle. That's G A R G Y L E uh, because it's a gargoyle wearing an Argyle sweater. My personal Letterboxd is where I log everything that I've been watching, and the Video Monsters Letterboxd is where I will eventually, once I take the time to do this, catalog all of the movies that we've covered in our episodes. Uh, so be sure to follow us on there as well to easily find what we think about uh, about all the movies that we've talked about. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to keep coming back. Uh, we record live in Discord every Tuesday night-ish at 9 o'clock-ish, depending on whether or not our kids actually cooperate at bedtime or if we have any family emergencies uh, or, you know, sick kids, which almost got in the way tonight. But thankfully, they're getting some sleep. Uh, so, yeah, Discord, join us there. The link is posted in Facebook, and it's also in the episode description. So if you're listening to this, just scroll down and find where to join us in discord come be a part of our chats and trying to think of all the other things uh like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast just do a search for video monsters and give us those five star reviews and positive ratings and then go share the podcast with your friends tell them all about the uh us multi-purpose podcast guys who like to dive in super deep and analyze movies probably way much more than they <laughs> were intended by the filmmakers. You, you just reminded me. I have a, uh, um, I have a note in here that's talking about how this movie's like Swiss Army Man because it's all about trying to find. <laughs> it's like the dark side of Swiss Army Man because it's all about trying to find yourself and utterly failing. And also <laughs> about how Selena Gomez rides the bus home. <laughs> oh, oh, the ah uh, man. Uh, we'll dive a little bit more into this when we get to the lighthouse and we can tie in some of the themes uh, pulling all of these movies together but Spring Breakers ties in great with Swiss Army Man because Swiss Army Man focuses on all of the trash that is discarded by society and like how to find beauty within these discarded elements and Spring Mm -hmm. Breakers is all about um, no that ain't trash that's life yo shit that's my shit Look at my shit! And so, I think that uh, both of these movies are approaching things on a very different uh, different ends of the spectrum on uh, materialism and um, uh, the other things that I'm getting tired. Sorry. Uh, So yeah, come back next week, or not next week, come back next episode when we discuss not the lobster that's not the movie that we're talking about the lobster <laughs> when we talk about the we're not fond of we're not fond of the lobster 
Are there other things that I say at the, the end of the episode about where people can find uh, us or what to do? You talk about how uh, this podcast is the most spiritual place you've ever been. Sure. Um, yeah. How it feels like it's never going to end and you don't want it to. Well, that's true. You wish, that you, wish you could be here forever. I mean, sometimes it feels like we are. <laughs> we definitely are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's been it for this episode of Video Monsters. I'm Nathan. I'm Eric. And I'm Dan. Join us next time as we dive into the lighthouse. Good night, everybody. <laughs>